does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Nick's the quarterback, and and we're moving forward with that. Uh, I like Sam, man. He works hard in practice. I think he's uh, he's a c- true competitor. I like his leadership. He's done everything I've asked him to do on the scout team. He gives us a great look and uh, and tries to compete in there and continue to battle. So um, I, I told Sam, you know, a long time ago, I like I like his effort. I think he he spends a lot of time trying to watch film and catch up to try to learn the details of his position. Uh, so I like the progress of which he's going. He really craves the responsibility being the franchise point guard. What he's learning is that sometimes it means we need points. Other times it means we need to get other guys involved. But always he's aware of both both of those things. And so, you know, tonight we needed a couple of buckets. You know, they kind of walked it down to six. Uh, things were getting close. You know, somehow he got to the rim and uh, I think it was an and one. So can't say enough good things about his year and everything that he's doing. You know, the, the hard thing is getting him off the floor. He's maturing you know, before eyes. And when I'm in that, he's trending up real fast. And uh, it's scary because uh, you look at a kid from Oscars, Wisconsin, Iowa State, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I, I didn't see this coming. Be honest with you, you know, I know he's a great player, great playmaker, but that's what you expect, though, when, like, when everybody doesn't have high expectation with you and you just sneak up on them. And uh, and that's what him. He's a competitive man. He wants to work each and every day. He wants to show that he can do it, and uh, he's doing that for sure. He's he's our leader, and, uh, you know, and uh, he leads us in, in tremendous ways of uh, his voice his playmaking ability and scoring. 60 points, 20 boards, never it never happened, baby. How's it feel right now? I'm tired as hell. <laughs> you can rest later. You're young. I need to recover your beer. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King coming to you live from the drive Hubler.com studios here on the midweek show hump day on a Wednesday here on the fan. BK, when you're looking for over the last couple of months, I know that JMV has said it. I know that Kevin and Query have said it that the teams around town have let us down in some regard. There's been a lot of bad sporting results over the last 12 to 18 months. The Pacers have been involved in that mix. They had a a very, very down year last year that saw them in the lottery, but they made a couple moves, as we know, at the trade deadline. And this team, again, it's still... Middle of the pack in terms of record, but it's been established throughout the year. They're fun again. They are exciting again. They have dynamic young talent across the board that makes them a must-see ticket on a nightly basis. And whenever you have a type of measuring stick game, they've had wins against the Celtics and the Heat already this year. Then a team that's right there with you that's going to be fighting for playoff positioning in the Hawks. You take care of business against them in what was really a complete effort last night at Gambridge Fieldhouse. Yeah, you avoided the Nate McMillan, Justin Holiday, and Aaron Holiday revenge game, really, because <laughs> it is Pacers, it is the ghost of Christmas past when it it is the Atlanta Hawks coming to town. Jimmy, I was in the building last night, really enjoyed what the Pacers brought to the table. That was an intense, efficient, and outstanding performance from those guys. And the thing that I came away with most 
for the first time this year, the Pacers really, really made a superstar look bad. That was the quietest 20-point night I think Trey Young's going to have in a long, long time. He did drop 22 points, but there was really only one marquee moment, Jimmy. It was in the first quarter. He hit a three basically from the logo, and then the initial thought was like, oh boy, here we go. But the Pacers kept him quiet, and he had some lapses defensively where you really question Trey Young's basketball IQ. I think the Pacers did a spectacular job game planning, and nine of the 22 for Trey Young came at the free throw line. So he did get to the bucket consistently, got fouled, but you were able to avoid those big moments. I think it was huge that Clint Capella did not play because Okongwu, he picked up two fouls in the first six minutes. So, yes, Jimmy, make the Pacers fun again. That is happening. They claim sole possession of seventh place in the Eastern Conference. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but with how the East is situated right now, look, Jimmy, in the grand scheme of things, the Pacers now are a game back of the Knicks for sixth. The 76ers, who are in fifth, Jimmy, they're only three games ahead of the Pacers right now. And remember, the Pacers over-under was 23.5 for wins. Jimmy, they're at 18. That would have to be the collapse of all collapses one for that bet not to hit. And secondly, there's a long way to go until April. Long way to go. And there's a lot of teams, big teams, that have not come to Gamebridge Fieldhouse yet this year. But I don't think you could ask for a better start realistically as a Pacers fan or a person covering the team than what they have done. Because Rick is leading the charge well. The second unit probably played their best game of the season last night. And you're able to lock down a superstar, keeping Trey Young to the quietest of 20-point nights possible. It was spectacular. And that's what you're going to need if you're trying to make any noise in, at this point, if the season ended today, a play-in tournament, or if you're heading into the playoffs. Because if you're a Pacers fan, look, I'll be honest about this. Because you know I, I said it at the time when the season started. And I will you know, admit to it now, I didn't know where this team was going to be to a point that I felt like they're probably closer to the lottery. And yes, I, I was in the, as I think a lot of fans are, of teams that were expected to struggle. I am in the Victor Wembanyama tank train, or whatever you want to call it, right? I, I, I was definitely on that wagon for a long time. And I've had fellow Pacers fans who are like, man, I just, I, right, fans don't understand the ins and outs of the front office, right? They only care about championships. And front office does too, but the front office knows that there's a step towards building to that, not just let's tank every year and let's get the best player available. Um, it doesn't always work out. And with the lottery, you're not always guaranteed to get the top pick, even if you have the worst record in the NBA. So that's a long-winded way of saying, Brendan, that if you're in that boat like I was, enjoy this team. Like enjoy them for what they are because they are they are young in a lot of areas. Of course, they they have veterans in place as well. But this particular iteration of the team, BK, it this could be a very different team post deadline than it is right now, regardless of where they are in the Eastern Conference standings. That obviously impacts front office decision making. But Buddy Heald might not be here. Miles Turner. Might not be here. There's reports last week that with his new agent, they are starting initial talks on contract extensions. So maybe Turner is here for the long run. But my point is, this team is fun right now. They're exciting. 
If you're a fan, don't worry about the draft right now. Do that for the Colts. Don't do it for the Pacers. Enjoy this team. Enjoy where they're at. Enjoy watching them build and grow. And if it's a playoff team, which they would be today, they'd be a play-in team, but they'd still be a part of that postseason conversation, that's a heck of a turnaround compared to where Vegas and others thought they would be. Well, I don't know how many people across the country would have bet the 23 and a half over, but those that did are definitely going to take yep. some money from those sports books. Jimmy, last night was also a crucial example of why Buddy Heald is playing himself into being almost untradeable. And I realized that you could probably get something good for him and you could probably help your future. But Buddy Heald, although he is 30 years old, if you are going to turn into the next version of a Philadelphia, if you are going to turn into the next version of a Miami, what have we seen from those teams? You need some veterans to pair with your young stars. That consistently in the NBA over the last decade has how teams have won championships. You know, the Warriors have all the star power, but at times it was Andre Iguodala who was stepping up in some of the most important moments for that team. Tobias Harris has been a key member of the 76ers through their playoff runs the last few years. Jimmy Butler continues to get older. So is Buddy Heald to the level of those players? I don't know, but he's starting to play like it. He's clearly comfortable. Any side of him with that Sacramento curse that we kind of heard from Scott Agnes the other day where it really is bringing him down, I don't see any signs of it. When Buddy gets hot, he might be one of the most dangerous players in this league. 28 points last night, 6 of 7 from 3. But just the way that he acts, Jimmy, is almost the spark plug for this team. He is the spark plug because at times, any team gets cold. But when the Pacers get cold, I don't know, Halliburton is such a special talent. But just in terms of getting a team back to life, I don't know if anybody on this roster does that better than Buddy. Here's the one caveat that I will say to this. Pacer fans are screaming for Benedict Matherin to be inserted into the starting lineup. Yes. Right now, the Pacers need Andrew Nimhard and Aaron Neesmith in that starting lineup for the defense. That leaves Matherin on the bench. Yes, he's averaging 28, point, uh, 28 minutes a game. And he's coming off the bench and mainly closing out with the starting five. But when you look at the future here, Buddy Heald's minutes and impact is kind of limiting what you can do with Matherin in that starting five because of the clog there positionally. That's the only caveat to this. I agree with you that they need to try and keep Buddy Heald as much or as long as they can, but at the same time, I think it's kind of hindering the development of Benedict Matherin with Tyrese Halliburton, with Andrew Nimhard, with Miles Turner, if Turner is a part of their long-term picture. I don't know if it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Right, no, no, no. Uh, but uh, maybe it ends up being a positive that Matherin gets such a role with the second unit. Because if the second unit plays as well as they did last night, I, I think they played more than half of the second quarter. Definitely more than half of the second quarter. And they came in probably with three minutes to go in the first. So the first half, a lot of it, the Pacers developing that lead, guys, a lot of it was credit to the second unit. Now, TJ McConnell, where he ends up at the trade deadline, I think is very key to what the second unit can do down the road because McConnell has sort of led the charge from a point guard standard on that second unit. But if you have a guy like Matherin who can be that efficient with the backups, and 
throw away competing for a championship. That's not even what I'm alluding to. But if you make the playoffs this year and you want to screw around and compete in a series, I don't know if another team that you're going to play in that playing tournament, guys, has a player to the effectiveness of Mathurin that you could stick out there. And when your ones are getting rest, you got this guy that's ready to go attack some dude's backup. I go back and forth with the Mathurin in the starting lineup thing, and I talked to Eddie about it before the show today. And I'm in the same boat of you, Brendan, that not just what he brings to the table, if you're simulating to where the playoffs are. You're saying Buddy or Matherin? Uh, Matherin. Yeah. But also because, and Ed, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, I would think that as a rookie and as important an emphasis on defense that Rick Carlisle has, that with how the current starting five are set up, if you plugged in Matherin instead of, let's say, I can't remember who we, if we mentioned Nemhart, if we said Neesmith, who we said that we would right. make the sub for. Either way, with where Matherin's at right now, you're probably taking a step back in terms of your defense initially for that starting five. And because that's a core principle of what Rick Collar wants to do with this team. And, Jimmy, there's not really a lot of guys on the roster right, right now who are above right. average defenders right. on the ball specifically. Right. And so because of that, in theory you're hoping that with that second unit and with this continued maturation of Benedict Matherin as a rookie, those are tendencies that continue to develop as he continues to operate within the defensive schemes and also just the level of play that Rick Carlisle wants from this group. So I'm not against it right now, but it does become an interesting conversation if they do move on from Buddy Heald, which BK, you and I, I think, agree on this. Like I, I, a lot of people did, but I loved Buddy Heald at Oklahoma. Just I, I thought he was just a like same with he was a fun player. He was just a fun player to watch. He could hit from anywhere. Uh, their run in the tournament was outstanding. I, I just like thought, wow, this is. I didn't put the Steph Curry crown, but like, wow, this is the next iteration of what NBA guards are. They can shoot from pretty much anywhere in the building. They're efficient, and this is where we're going. He faltered a little bit in New Orleans and a little bit in Sacramento, but again. I know Sacramento is a punching bag, but it is what it is. That's just it. There's not often great things that pop out of Sacramento. There are, but not always. And there's often struggles that occur with Sacramento as a franchise, not necessarily for the players themselves, but just the franchise as a whole. Now he's here in Indiana. He's found a role. He is maximizing that to levels that I don't think anybody saw when the trade went down. And so now you're torn with. He is 30. And people still throw money around the NBA, like all sports, like it doesn't matter. He's two years away from a contract. 2024 is when he's a free agent. Where is he in your long-term plans? Because as a front office, you also have to be thinking about these first five years of, first four years of the Benedict Matherin rookie contract and how you're building complimentary pieces around him, along with Tyrese Halliburton on this roster. The complimentary factor is why he must stay around most. And by the way, I think the athleticism of the Pacers is one of the most underrated parts of what they do. You can bring an O'Shea Brissett off the bench after Aaron Neesmith bangs around with a bunch of dudes in the post because O'Shea and Neesmith have a very similar game to that 3 and D type feel. And practically, they are the same level of defender. So a guy's tired on the other side, and you're like, okay, Neesmith's coming out. Let me see if I can go on a run. And it's O'Shea coming in. Right. You're like, I, I get a fresh version of what was just killing me. <laughs> right. Right? So, but when it comes to being complimentary, guys, 
I don't know if I'd want another type of shooter around a Matherin or an Emhard than Buddy, because when it does come time, Jimmy, for that new contract, Buddy, as you said, is going to be 31, 32, 33, but you give him a two-year deal, I'd feel comfortable enough with that to mentor a Matherin to become an even more substantial level to what he already is. I just think that met- – and when Buddy got to the Pacers in that trade, it s- felt a little random that almost, okay, maybe we'll flip him just like we did Tristan Thompson, but I'm glad they did it because they're reaping the benefits and they got – guys, they got sole possession of the top spot in the play-in tournament. Again, I just thought that was unfathomable when you just looked at the state of the team heading into this year. And a lot of it has to do – with how aggressive they are from a shooting standard and the the quality defense that they play. And the part of it all that I think we've also failed to mention, BK and Jay Cook, um, is the fact of the brotherly love between Heald and Halliburton, which would make it much more harder, I think, on the front office to trade a buddy Heald because you're trying to build around your star player in Tyrese Halliburton and uh, Benedict Matherin. And you look at how the, in the past things have come about with Paul George and Victor Oladipo. Um, part of me wonders if there's any scar tissue there from the front office in terms of trying to get rid of a buddy heel because he works so well with Tyrese and how the relationship is. But at the same time, you also have to look at you have to look at the value of heel. It's it's going to be right now is the highest because he's having one of the best efficient years he's had. He's putting the ball on the deck and he's making plays as a passer. He's rebounding. Um, and he's getting to the basket and converting right at the goal, too. So, I mean, it's all going to be interesting. There are 500 team right now with you had zero expectations for coming into the season. It's all exciting. But as you look toward the future, like you said, you, that you two have pointed out, he's 30 years old. And where is he in the long term plans? That's a very good question. And it's just to Brandon's point, I think from a team standpoint, from a fan standpoint, a two year contract would be nice. But he still has, in theory, one good payday left in him. I would be surprised if it's a two-year contract unless, to your point, BK, he does really value the culture that's there and he wants to go on a shorter-term deal with maybe more money up front. Exactly. I don't think necessarily just, he would sign a two-year deal. I know you're just using that as an example, smart, yeah, right. to be clear. A, a, a smart agent would want to get more, right. obviously. But if the Pacers... If Herb Simon is truly committed to this thing, rebuilding quickly and competing as soon as possible... If I'm Herb Simon, I open up the checkbook and go more average annual value sure. in less years. Because sure. th- they could, guys, let's be real. They could afford it. They could do it. It's just a matter of opening the checkbook. And, and do you want to dish that much money in a short term deal for a guy that does get one dimensional at times? I, and, I guess that's the question. And, and, and that's where it becomes tough for me, just because they do. I feel like this team, where they're at right now, and it could come in a variety of different ways. They, they don't even need to necessarily be a lottery team this year because of the three first-round picks they have. They could trade up. They could make a move in that regard. And they have to hit on it, right? This is a big if to what I'm about to say. I think they are one more big knock-it-out-of-the-park pick in the draft from being very scary in the Eastern Conference. And I say that in the draft because the the stereotype, and it's not even a stereotype as much as it's just it's a factual state of the franchise and state of Indiana. I understand that you grew up next door to our neighbors to the West, but Eddie and I growing up here in 
Indiana, we understand what it is. We love Indianapolis, but it's not a free agent destination. It's not Miami. It's never going to be Miami or or New York or or L.A. Everybody knows that. But if you build the team the right way, you will attract more veterans if they feel like you're a piece or two away from legitimately winning a shot. The best two avenues to do that are through the draft or through what Kevin Pritchard has continued to nail, and you stressed earlier this week, Brendan, is his ability to find high-quality assets via the trade market. So I ask you this, and this is going to be our running question until the deadline. Miles and Heal, I'm not going to make you pick one, but are they both still on this roster post-February deadline? Because my answer is no. I really think one of them are going to be moved on. I'm not saying I want that. I'm just saying I think that is the direction the franchise is ultimately going to go, whether it is because Miles doesn't want an extension. And it not doesn't. that's not the right word. Not that he doesn't want, but that they can't agree on a right value for money. Whether it is they see that healed, statistically speaking, is probably having to do Eddie's point his best year ever. And does he continue to ascend higher? I don't know. Maybe they cash those chips in now. Do you think that both of them are still here after the deadline? One's going. I don't know who. Because if you're treating this like the stock market, you let go of Buddy where the sun don't shine. You You... you do it as soon as possible. If, if we're talking money, money says you let him go. Plenty of contenders would line up plenty right away. At, and they'd be shelving out first-round picks. Yep. But at the same time, what wins in the playoffs? Lockdown D in the post. I don't think anybody offers that truly like Miles Turner does when healthy. That's the big asterisk. When healthy. Can he stay healthy enough to get somebody to overpay for him? Because Kevin Pritchard, you got to shout this guy out because he has fleeced and fleeced and fleeced. He is a master of the trade. And now I think the complaint about Pritchard in recent years, specifically 18 to 20, has been the draft. If you pick out a thing that's been the weak spot of his tenure, it's been the draft. But that is now turning around because... You're able to get a Nemhard type guy late. Uh, they nailed the Matherin pick. Goga, I, th- that that's going to end up being the mistake of the tenure. My Goga go chant never uh, never changes. It it's very sad. Well, well yeah, 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 we try yeah, to forget about I, that I, one altogether. I, I just put that in the pa- yeah. Goga's currently on the roster and doing nothing more than being a cheerleader on the bench. Unfortunately, and that that's the unfortunate part because I wanted Goga to work. I really did. But back to the point, Jimmy. If, if a team realizes that their biggest flaw heading into the playoffs, a, a team right up there in the standings, if they see that interior defense is their biggest flaw, Pritchard can just do it again. Because nobody in this league, when healthy, offers the glass protection that Miles does. And it's just a matter of Pritchard finding the right avenue, which I think he can. I do too. And... Another common debate is, okay, well, do you extend Miles? Do you not? Look, Miles is 26. Okay, he is still very much it's kind of wild to think in about the prime of his career. That, yeah, and it's easy to forget all the time because it feels like he's got to be towards Buddy's age. He's at least 30. But he, even though he was in that 2015 draft, he's just 26 years old and still has everything in front of him in terms of his career as an NBA talent. He is worth a big money contract. Can the Pacers and his representation find the right number 
I don't know, I, but I'll be honest. I didn't expect. I thought extension talks were were gone. I thought that there was no shot of this happening. I know again, Miles changed representation, but I, I didn't think there was a shot at them getting an extension done with him. So if you can get an extension done that is agreeable to where the Pacers want to go from a financial perspective and how they want to build this team, I'm not mad about Miles still being here. You've seen him within his natural five slot this year, playing more free playing more open within the offense, not forcing as much. It's still there every now and again, but there's just there's a level of of confidence and just comfortability with Miles that hasn't been there in a couple years. So I, I'm no longer like I was two or three years ago on, oh, you got to trade this guy. You got to move on from him. You got to strike while the iron's hot. But I do ultimately think if you're looking for trade candidates and the Pacers are, we don't want to say sellers, but they are adjusters at the deadline that – one of those two's got to go. And if it's me, it's probably healed at this point. You think it's healed? Because I, I, I think that... I think healed is more easily replaced with Miles' size and his ability to alter the decision-making on your on your last line of defense. That and just the fact that he, he, he can... He doesn't do it at a high level and nearly like uh, like other bigs, but he has the ability to hit from beyond the arc as well. And with the way that Halliburton and Miles just play so effortlessly, like Halliburton does that with everybody, right? But this is the first time in a long time that Miles had a guard that can't open up so many different things about his game to the point that I'm fine with Miles still moving on and being a part of this blueprint moving forward. And I think you can find trusting Pritchard to do this, whether it's through the draft or through trade, find a comparable not as elite as Heald is right now, but a comparable asset within the guard rotation. I can get behind that, but the one thing that I want to say about Miles still, he's an excellent rim protector. I put emphasis on rim and not say defender because I still think there are sure. there's problems with him defending the pick and roll, especially when you bring him out away from the basket and you put him on the outside against a guard, because in today's NBA, you're switching on everything. Look at how Boston is. I mean, you look at a Robert Williams. He's young, he's athletic, and he can move. I still question the ability of Miles to be able to defend the ball handler in a pick-and-roll situation uh, on the outside if they have to switch. He's one of the best, if not the best, rim protector, but I still think there are some issues with Miles in terms of defending along the perimeter when he has to go out there. Is that you bringing up that point about Miles, or is that you saying, because of that, I would rather trade him than trade Heald? Just a point. Okay, okay, okay. Because, I mean, yes, Miles' impact defensively is going to be missed if he's out due to injury or if he's traded like we saw that last year with this team when Isaiah Jackson was starting at the five and with Jalen Smith, that defense was horrific without Turner because they didn't have a true interior presence at the rim. If you're going to trade Miles, you're, you're going to have to settle for late in the year. You're not going to be the same team. But I think there's more value that you would get coming back I think a team would pay more for Miles in the long run than they would pay for Buddy because he's only 26 and because if a team desperately needs it in the playoffs, I think you can find shooting in an organization easier than you can find rim protection, like Eddie said, from Miles. If a team's willing to pay that, I think the value would come to the Pacers more for Miles than Buddy. And let's not forget as we go to break that... Maybe that's changed now because of how well both of them are playing. But going into the season, they were viewed as a package together. 
Yeah. So, which is great. It'll be right. It'll ultimately be interesting to see how that all unfolds. Again, uh, no one's saying pull this up right now because it's a Pacers win last night, but it is just very interesting to see how everything unfolds from here. We're going to change lanes for a second, talk a little bit about the direction of the Colts. Comments from Jim Irsay on Monday Night Football the other night. And just get the Dean, Mike Chappell of Fox 59 and CBS 4's thoughts on Nick Foles remaining your man under center and what the offseason is going to hold for Indianapolis after the break. Mike Chappell joins myself and Brendan King here on the Fan Midday Show next. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's the first time I had heard that Kevin and Query, Kevin choking promo. Now he's getting some free time in Florida, though, which is good. Well-deserved. Well-deserved, indeed. Also, probably deserving of a break from covering the train wreck that has been the Indianapolis Colts is our guy, Mike Chappell. Chappie joins us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. Chappie, I know it has been quite the last month or so. What I want to lead things off with by asking, though, is Jeff Saturday's media availability yesterday. Nick Foles, at least as of now, remains the starting quarterback. Was that your anticipated answer from Saturday when you guys asked about the QB situation? I suppose. I, I'm at the point that it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. It really doesn't. Uh, and how... You know, Foles is the latest guy that they've put in a position to fail. You know, it started with Parks Frazier and then Jeff Saturday and even Sam Ellinger. And now Nick Foles. Keep in mind, he he first took, you know, snaps with the first unit on Wednesday. So he's had he's had no, you know, meaningful work with, with starting players since training camp. So he, so we probably got what we, we, we expected. You know, what was it, seven sacks, and I think at least four of them were on him for either holding the ball too long or trying to go through his progressions, which means holding the ball too long. Yeah, I I don't know what I, – I, maybe, maybe part of me wondered if they should have gone to Ellinger in the fourth quarter, maybe, especially after the failed fourth and one. But I just don't know that at this point it matters. These this offense broken beyond repair this season, and I don't know who you could put back there that would make a difference. Uh, you know, somebody I guess that doesn't throw interceptions. They've they've had now like was it seventeen. It's crazy. This team leads the league in interceptions and lost fumbles and you know total turnovers, and you can't win that way. Chap, when they brought in Saturday as interim head coach, where at the time was your bar or your outlook for what you wanted to see out of his tenure? Obviously, it's not over yet, but what did you want to see? And then, I mean, obviously, it's an F, right, in terms of where the team is at, but but where is your grade and observations at all with how this experiment or this trial uh, has gone and how much of it rests on his shoulders? Oh, I think very little rests on his shoulders. You could have put, you know, George Hallis in there, and 
again, I think this team is so broken that it doesn't matter. I, anyone who expected more than a win or two with with just Saturday was delusional. It's, you know, you, you win the first game, and you, you generally have that, that, that initial sugar high, which they came out and played really well, and it was a great story. And then, you know, you sort of get into the routine of, okay, now we've got to go – you know, and maybe they beat Houston. I don't think. I initially thought they could beat the Giants. I don't didn't think the Giants were all that good, but they've got you know they got Barkley and they've got the defense, so they're going to be tough. And, and they're shooting for the playoffs. Maybe Houston. Not, not, it would be such a bad off season. It's, it's going to be uh, a, a, an off season of change anyway. But to go into the off season losing to Houston at home, you know, that wouldn't be good optics. But I, I didn't have high expectations. I mean, how could you? Uh, maybe he, maybe he's brought more discipline, more accountability, I guess. That's such a vague word. But I think maybe he's been harder on the team than maybe Frank was. And I think that's one thing that Ursay wanted. But anyone who expected Jeff to come in here and, and turn this thing around, it's the same roster that Frank had. It, it's the same Offensive line is not good enough. It's the same running game that's not been good enough. It's the same quarterback that hasn't been good enough. So, you know, you, you only can do with what you've got, and they don't have enough. So to kind of follow up with that, Chap, is that why you think Jim Irsay still intends for Jeff Saturday to be a strong candidate? Because it, the, the cards were, I don't say stacked against him, but it was a tough situation that he was coming into. Is that is that a part of the rationale there as to why you'd want him to be still a strong candidate or was Monday just, you know, he, Jim Irsay's not the type of guy that's going to tear somebody down in a national interview, particularly somebody as, as as prestigious or as relevant to the organization's history as Jeff Saturday. Yeah, I think Irsay did what he did for whatever reason, uh, knowing that, that this wasn't he wasn't going to get this team into playoff contention or whatever, but maybe just sort of get him some experience at the position and what all it entails. And, you know, the head coach does so much. And I'm sure there were times with with Jeff where he's sitting there preparing things and somebody comes in and says, hey, we need you to do this. And he says, why? Well, because you're the head coach. But, you know, I, I, I am convinced that, that, that Jeff's going to be a strong candidate and, and the fan base can roll, roll their eyes all they want. But I think it, the rationale will be, well, you know, you know, no one could have done much in those those last eight games, and we think Jeff has done this. And if Jim Mercy wants Jeff Saturday to be his coach, right? Jeff Saturday's going to be his coach. They'll <laughs> right. go they'll go through the Rooney thing, and they'll talk to minorities, and they'll talk to a couple other players or a couple other candidates, and then he'll name Jeff. And if that's what he wants to do, you know, it, it's I, I am totally totally in favor of the Rooney rule. I, I think it's needed. It, the, the the teams need to be forced unfortunately, to talk and interview minorities. But if you're the owner of a team, of a business, of whatever, you're going to hire whoever you darn well please. You just are. Right. You, you hire people that, you, that you're that you comfortable with, and, and, and it's got all the bad connotations. But you're going to hire somebody that, that, that you are comfortable with. And if he believes Jeff is that guy, then if, if that's the case, then it's incumbent upon Jeff Saturday to, to, to have the strongest coaching staff he could find. You know, a, a, a top-drawer offensive coordinator, quarterback coach. And I tell you, 
I would I would not hesitate one bit to bring back Gus Bradley and as many of these defenses players yeah. as possible. This defense is is it championship level? Probably not. Is it playoff level? Absolutely. And it's just been put in so many bad situations. So if Jeff is back as coach, it's it's he, his success will depend on the coaching staff he surrounds himself with. Mike Chappell is on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. Chap, do you get the sense that in the coaching search, Ursay has to go, in his mind, with a guy with a pass connection to the franchise in, in the grand scheme of things? I, I, I No, I don't think so. Uh, now, that may, again, that may be where he goes with, again with Saturday. But no, I don't think so. I, you can almost argue that they need to get away from that uh, to, to get a, a fresh set of eyes and all that. So, yeah, I, I don't think that. And that should not. It's kind of like the IU thing, you know. Is it was it important to to bring in Mike Woodson for all that? Well, I, you know, how many of those players nowadays know who Mike Woodson is? So I, I don't know. I don't think that sh- I don't think that should have much of a influence at all. Uh, let, let, let's take the other extreme, and and they, and they, so they focus on Jim Harbaugh, and and he's interested. Well, that's it's because he he's been super successful at Michigan and with, with San Francisco, not because he's in the ring of honor and he had a couple of, you know, bursts at, as a Colts quarterback that got him in the ring of honor. So I, 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 I really don't, I think that should be so far down the list of, you know, requirements that you have some tie to the team because I just, this team has so much, there's so much work that's got to be done with with Chris Ballard and the new coach that that just can't really play into it. Chap, I know that Jim has already kind of made it clear, at least he said it publicly a number of times, and we were at a point evaluating yesterday where, okay, even though you can't get inside the head of Jim Ursay, at some point, if a figure, the, the face of the franchise, the voice of the franchise, the, the controlling member of the franchise, keeps saying that Chris Ballard is your general manager – at some point, that is that is fact. You have to take it as fact, and that's what's going to happen. So, so if if that is factual at this point, at least that's what he's saying. That Ballard is the general manager. You've covered the team longer than anybody. What kind of leash is on this guy? Because I know that we are not in the business you or I of rooting for people to lose their jobs, but we also know it's a business. And if it's not Saturday's fault, and it's not it was Reich's fault, but he's gone. The last person to blame in the room is Ballard, no? Oh, there's no question. We always discuss in the press room is when this thing was, you know, starting to go downhill, is how do you meet out the blame? And I always thought it was like 60-40, 70-30 with the GM because he built the team. Right. I mean, he built the team. He and his scout, scouting staff built the team. So, yeah, it, it, it's, it's going to be interesting. The leash, well, I mean – Keep in mind that that they're going to draft a quarterback. That they're going to draft a quarterback because you've got to have that young guy that you can at least say he, he's. I guess he's our future. Uh, if that's the case, you're not going to see immediate returns. You know, people are are disappointed and upset and all that about four ten and one headed to wherever it's headed. What do you expect next year? 
you know, if that if that if you get the third best quarterback, or maybe the maybe he's higher in your mind, it's it's very possible he doesn't play at the start of the season. So then that means you've got to have a veteran get you through. Is that Nick Foles? Is it Sam Ellinger? Is it I don't know Marcus Mario? Somebody else? And if that's the case, and that will be the case then it's it's going to be tough sledding next year. But I'm telling you, if if the fan base sees that you get a quarterback that you can build on, that you know, they'll be 100% behind it until that guy isn't the guy. But the fan base can deal with a rebuilding season if they see that it's building towards something. That's the problem now is, is no one sees where this is going because it's going nowhere. But if – not if – when they draft a young quarterback – isn't that going to give the GM a year or two? Unless next year is just a, a, an absolute train wreck, you know, like this year. Uh, because to expect any this team to do a lot next year with a young quarterback or a, another, you know, mid-level veteran quarterback is crazy. So he's going to be given at least a couple more years, which I'm sure drives a portion of the fan base crazy. Chap, late last night, there was the story dropping from Pro Football Talk. I don't know if you saw it, but it was where, quote, it said Jim Ursay says he, again, quote, reluctantly gave Frank Reich a contract extension before, quote, I wanted to. Not sure if you saw that. If you did, if you didn't, what's your take on that? Yeah, I've talked to Jim a couple of times in the last month, and he's mentioned that to me, and I've really not done much with it because a lot of times what he tells me is, off the record and all that, but he mentioned that in the ESPN, in the ESPN interview as well. And I don't know what that means. I mean, if you don't want to give Frank Wright an extension, you don't give Frank Wright an extension. I, I, I don't know what it means, and I have a hard time believing that Frank went in there and said, and pressured or whatever, and said, I, I need an extension. I don't know. There, there are things that that are said that. I don't always agree with, but that's one I just I don't know what he what he means reluctantly because you're the owner, and it's not like Frank would have not coached without an extension. So I really don't know what that means. Does that tie into Ballard too by extension, Chap? I know we didn't say him directly, or are we just reading too much into that. Well, they got an extension the same right, time. exactly the same exactly, day, right? exactly, yeah. right? Yeah, it was it was you know, he announced it during that training camp right interview in August of of 2021, but. But you know, I think it's one though where you want you want your coach and head coach tied to the same time frame because it makes sense, and that's that's why whoever they they're bringing as the head coach, he and Chris Ballard need to be, you know, really really similar as far as far as how they look at things because if the GM and the head coach don't match, then what do you got? You know, you're you're always going to have issues. Uh, so yeah, that, again, going back to what the owner said, I don't, I don't understand. Other than, you know, the extension, which probably came too early because you didn't need to, but at least it tied the two guys together until twenty twenty six, until you get rid of the coach. So I, it's, it's one of those things that we never really get the entire reason, backstory, or whatever. But reluctantly, that word just kind of. I, I just kind of roll my eyes. I don't know what it means. 
Chap, last thing on my end, because you're as interconnected as anybody around this market, is the pulse around West 56? I know this is going to be a conversation and a question of you the next four months, but is the pulse around West 56 that with that first round pick, they want to take a quarterback if, if they're positioned right? Yeah, I mean, and they will be positioned right. What, they're going to be five or four, maybe? Right. And But keep in mind, even let's say you're four, you're still going to get probably the the third best quarterback, or at least the number three quarterback in the draft. And, you know, again, however they, they, they you know, evaluate these guys, because Houston's going to take a quarterback. And whoever's two or three, if they don't want a quarterback, someone's going to trade up to get that, unless maybe the Colts trade up to get that. Right. So yeah, it's and Ursa's even said that you know when they when they when I, when I talked to him and they and they got rid of Wentz, uh, you know a, a year ago, he he talked about you know doggone it we need to get that young guy that we can develop, and he mentioned Ellinger a couple times as that guy and and we've seen I think that he 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 probably isn't that guy I mean. He might. I think he's got a chance to be a decent backup, but certainly not a franchise quarterback. But they they desperately have got to get off of this yep. veteran carousel. They've got to get a young guy that they they believe in, they trust, and that they believe in a year can be the guy. Because I'll tell you, what, what really drives these guys and other teams crazy is you look around the league and you see Joe Burrow and, and Josh Allen and and Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes and these young quarterbacks that are going to be there for for 10 years. Trevor Lawrence. Yep. You know, he's in your division for crying out loud and now that he's finally got a coach who knows what he's doing, he he, he might be that guy. You know, he might be one of those top 5 quarterbacks, top 8 quarterbacks and and you're sitting here and you don't have you don't have anything. And that's not a good position to be in. Mike Chappell taking some time with us, talking Colts. Chappie, we always appreciate the time. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Happy New Year, Chap. Happy New Year, and you guys be well. Thanks, Chappie. Mike Chappell on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. It is a huge show this afternoon. Tony East coming up at the top of the hour talking Pacers. Is it Nathan Bird or is it Baird? Baird. Baird. Nathan Baird. We'll talk. Not oh, confirmed on the next one, by the way. Not confirmed with Tony? Not the next guest after Baird. Ah, yes. Well, do you want me to say it? Go ahead. Well, it's on the YouTube chat, isn't it? It is. Uh, we hope to have the great Kevin Harlan with us at 2 o'clock. Kevin has been doing the Westwood One calls of the last two Monday Night Football games for the Colts, so he probably knows this team just about damn better than anybody else does. And if he doesn't well, want to, he has to this week, too. <laughs> well, he better confirm, yeah. because I did go on the YouTube chat with the time. Yeah, I'm saying, you, you're telling the people what they're getting, and then... One of our favorites, 2.30. This will be to close the show, and I can't wait for it. Tom Noy from the South Bend Tribune. He'll talk some Notre Dame with us as the Irish. Jimmy, they are quarterback shopping. We'll come back, talk about that, and more on the fan. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, 
jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Welcome back to the Fan Midday Show. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King coming at you on a Wednesday. Great conversation with Mike Chappell on the state of the Colts and where things might be headed, both from a coaching perspective and from their draft stock or draft selection in the first round of April's draft. That podcast up not only on 107.5thefan.com, but also wherever you get your podcast, search The Fan Midday Show at the conclusion of today's program. Additionally, upcoming, going to have a little deeper conversation on the Pacers, 129-114 winners over the Atlanta Hawks. Tony East going to join us of Locked On Pacers, covers the Pacers for Forbes as well, in addition to WTHR and Sports Illustrated, a number of different spots. You can find Tony's work a little bit later, Nathan Baird, of Cleveland.com. He's covered the Buckeyes of Ohio State all season long. Want to get a kind of brief pulse as we get ready for the college football playoff. And on top of that, get the rundown on C.J. Stroud and what he could bring to an NFL offense should the Colts go that direction in April. Again, working for confirmation on Kevin Harlan. He and Trent Green on the call for CBS for Colts-Giants this weekend. And then one of our favorites, the great Tom Noy of the South Bend Tribune. Getting ready for bowl season, maybe a little Notre Dame basketball mixed in there as well. Jimmy Cook and Brennan King here on The Fan. Up next, it's Tony East of Locked On Pacers taking us through that Pacers win last night and how he feels about the franchise 35 games in to the 2022-2023 season. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Eddie Garrison, NV Nightclub, December 31st, New Year's Eve. Get your tickets now. It's going to be popping. Let's go. No, Eddie is dropping the crystal ball at midnight and you could get 25% off your entrance tickets to Envy Nightclub right now with your promo code, the fan. New Year's Rockin' Eve with Eddie Garrison. That's what we're rolling with. Could you imagine? Let's go. Nice job, Eddie. Good work, Eddie. Nice job by the Indiana Pacers last night. Sole possession of seventh place in the Eastern Conference with their big win over the Hawks. 129-114. Buddy Heald, 28 points. Ben Matherin, 18. Tyrese Halliburton, 23. The Pacers are a game above 500. And through this stretch, which we have talked a lot about, Jimmy, if it could be murderer's row, the Pacers come out pretty okay. And here to talk about it, Tony East, our good pal, who jumps on with us to talk some blue and gold. Tony, appreciate the time, as always. Was with you in media row last night. Your big takeaways from the Pacers win. Yeah, that game was fascinating because that was the first time in the whole season, maybe, that the bench was the reason the Pacers won a game. I mean, Look, they got great performances from Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halbert, and those should not be overlooked. But the bench has been really rocky this year. You know, a lot of those guys have been inconsistent. Last night, Matherin was scoring well, and McConnell was doing his thing. O'Shea Brissett couldn't miss. I mean, that was the best their second unit has looked all season. That was huge, right? They were 
trailing late in the first quarter. That group got them ahead by 15 in the middle of the second. That was a very unique Pacers win in that way. Tony, you mentioned O'Shea Brissett, 16 points, but he was plus 28 on the floor. That was 17 better than anybody else. What about his night? He was unbelievable, right? He was finishing at the rim, which is something he struggled with his whole career. Like, he can sometimes get by guys with the dribble, but he can't always finish right at the basket. And his athleticism has never allowed him to be good in that area. He... Right away in the second quarter, right? Three drives to the bucket, finish a, finish the lamp. He hit a three in that second quarter as well. He was great in that way. And, look, he has a lot of these games where because he's the team's most athletic and mobile, like, forward-sized dude, right? He's 6'8". They don't have a lot of guys in that range. He just fits in a lot of their lineups in a way that a lot of other players can't. And, you know, he's maybe their best option to put on a perimeter player or John Collins or whoever. And it allows them to have these huge plus-minus games where – if his offense is clicking, the way he plays defense, he's huge for them, and he was last night, and he was awesome. Tony, how much has – we talk about Tyrese Halliburton opening up everything for this offense, but how much has Tyrese Halliburton either unlocked or rebirthed the type of play that we've seen from Miles Turner early on in his career? I, obviously, being back at his natural five has helped a ton, but how much has Halliburton helped in terms of just the overall night-to-night basis of a player like Miles Turner? Yeah, a lot, right? Like, you know, Turner, even earlier in his career before the Pacers had Savonis, would roll and cut every so often. But, you know, Jeff Teague and Darren Tallison aren't the level of passers that Tyrese Halliburton is, right? With no shade to those guys, they both were pretty good for the Pacers. They just aren't the passer that Halliburton is. So now Turner is, one, better than he was back then. But, two, he's mixing in those plays where he's cutting, he's diving, he's rolling after screens. And he also has a teammate who's very good at, getting him the ball in the right spots to succeed, whether that's the timing of the pass, whether that's changing the angle and tossing it to someone else to throw the ball into Turner. That all matters a lot, and I think that's helped Turner thrive as much as anything this year is that the offensive system around him is much better for him to thrive on the interior, right? I was talking to Justin Holiday before the game last night, right? He played with Turner for three and a half seasons, and that's kind of what he saw as the biggest growth in Turner's game is just the way that the way the Pacers play, the style that they play along with him going inside more, really all clicks together in a way that allows Turner to, to be the best he's ever been. Tony East is with us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and the Mowershop.com. Defensively, Tony, last night, Trey Young, he was able to have a 20-point night, dropped 22, but nine of those points came at the free throw line. So in my mind, that's one of the quieter 20-point nights you're ever going to see from a guy like Trey Young. What do you think they did so well defensively against him? The, the, the Hawks are a good matchup for the Pacers in that they can the Pacers' best defenders they can just toss at Trey Young and Dejounte Murray and you know dust their hands off together and say yep we feel good about this you know they, they started off the game with Andrew Nembhard on Trey Young and he's done a great job defending players like that this season he stays in front of him he, he can chase him around off the ball which is hard to do and made his life really hard and they were trapping him a lot after pick and rolls Jalen Smith had a great defensive game doing stuff like that as well and it was really impressive the way that. They were able to get up in his face, get the ball out of his hands, try to make other guys beat them. And at times it worked for the Hawks where, you know, guys like John Collins, you know, he had a really big night. I think he had 26. We're scoring pretty well, but without two of their starters, DeAndre Hunter and Clint Capella, Trey didn't have as many options to pass to. So Nembard's defensive pressure, the Pacers' scheme to send two to him after screens at times were really effective. And even Aaron Neesmith defended him well at times when he got the assignment. The Pacers had a really good matchup in this game, and they did a really good job you know, putting the pressure on Trey Young at the right times and knowing that he doesn't have as many good release valves to, to kind of get, get rid of that pressure and have someone else score, especially when Collins, who fouled out, was out of the game. The lead on 
the AP story that, that ESPN kind of ran with for their game recap led into Buddy Heel's work ethic and just his preparation and how much time he spent in the gym. Uh, Tony, you, you cover this league as well as anybody and know the ins and outs, particularly from just the not just the shooting splits, but just the the grind that it takes for shooters to add extra weapons to their game or add more consistency to their game. How can you put into context this kind of, I don't want to say career year, but this just elite level season, particularly from beyond the arc that Buddy Heald is having in the type of contributions that he makes to put this Pacers team into a real conversation, not just as a play-in team, but also as a maybe middle-of-the-pack playoff team going into April in the playoffs? Yeah, look, uh, he's now he, Steph's been hurt, obviously, but Buddy's now first in the league and made threes this year, right? Like you, you can you can say career if you want. He's over forty percent now for the first time in you know three or four seasons from deep shot, eighty six percent from deep last night. Led the team in scoring. Like he's been really good this year, and it was really interesting to because that was a lot of the questions about what he's been doing this season last night to him, to Rick Carlisle, to Tyrese Halberton is. You know, what, what is it about his the way he prepares and his work ethic that allows him to be this consistent shooter for this team this year? And you know, Buddy Heald's always, always in the gym, right? When we go in for our practice media availabilities, we can see the end of practice, which is mostly just guys getting up shots and working on skills. And Buddy Heald is usually one of the last guys out there. And he's shooting by himself a lot of the time, just getting those threes up. And you know, the, the little things that he does during the game to stay engaged and keep his hands on the ball that Rick Carlisle was talking about after the game is like, Watch Buddy Heald during timeouts if you're ever at a Pacers game. Like, he'll try to go grab the game ball and shoot it or spin it in his hands or something just to stay warm. Like, he's so focused on his craft, especially his shooting, that it makes him such a valuable player for this Pacers team. And he was joking with us, Heald was last night, that his family has to tell him sometimes to get out of the gym, right, because he's in there so much trying to get those shots up. And, you know, he's really put in the time uh, since being traded here, at least when I could see him, to, to be that shooter, to be really consistent from deep, to be that weapon. And, of course, again, like with uh, like with Miles earlier, we talked about this system is really good for Hield, right? He can run around the perimeter. Tyrese gets in the ball in great positions to score. But when he's shooting at the level he's shooting at, when he's playing with the consistency that he has, he's been such a weapon for this team in a way that was that was pretty unexpected to me uh, when he was traded here. And uh, he's been he, really fantastic. It was huge for them last night. Like going six for seven for deep and on your way to 28 points, almost the double-double. He was really special, and his work ethic has been as well. Tony, just to follow up on Buddy, I realize these types of performances can feed into trade stock for him and make him more attractive to other teams. But more so, does it just make him more untradeable in the mind of Kevin Pritchard that, look, if this is what you're getting out of the guy, it's going to be really hard to let go of him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he's close with Tyrese. You know, they are always joking around together that now viral press conference happened a couple weeks ago. He's, he's, of course, very good, right? Led the team in scoring last night. Very often does. He's a great shooter. And, you know, unlike with Turner, where a lot of the discussion will be around him because of his contract situation, like, there's no rush with Buddy Heald. He has another season under contract. His contract actually declines next season. So the Pacers who love flexibility can still have some with him under under contract with this team, even if they are, you know, rebuilding or whatever term you want to use. I know that that's not the, the Pacers' favorite term specifically. Like, he only has one more year on his deal. He's not crippling their books or anything, and he's valuable and good. You know, there's no rush for them to, to do anything unless they get blown away by an offer or feel like they absolutely have to change directions for some reason. So, yeah, of course, it's going to lead into to trade talk speculation. I get why. Uh, you know, when you have a 28-point game and you're one of the best shooters in the league. But 
if you're the Pacers and you're over 500 and you're in the mix and you know, you maybe you don't end up being as much of a seller as you thought, yeah, keeping him makes absolutely a ton of sense. Tony, you study the cap as well as anybody. You know the, the, the minute details and the intricacies of it. So as you look and I understand that the front office, is, of course, is all aware of this, but for those that don't that follow the Pacers, when you look at how you're building out this I don't want to, I don't, you can't call it a championship window yet, but when you're looking how you're building out Halliburton and Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard and, and this young core, from a billable standpoint in the area where the Pacers like flexibility, is there a scenario where you give an extension to Miles and you're looking at long term options with Buddy Heald or realistically with how the NBA ebbs and flows and, and where the Pacers want to spend money? Is that not in the realm of possibility? Yeah, it seems like if you extend Turner, you're commit not maybe committed to this specific core like right this second, but you know you're interested in this exact team, right? Turner fits with the group they have, the roster that they have makes sense, and they have flexibility to do a bunch of things. Even if they extend Turner, like they'll probably still have cap space this offseason, for example. But you know, if you commit to Turner, like especially before this core has played a playoff game, you're kind of committing to the team as a whole, right, uh, to an extent, not actually in terms of the money, but you know, it, it clearly signals a buy-in for the roster they have and what they're building, which, again, they're over 500, like they're playing well. That's that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, you know, it would kind of signal that they are in, interested in keeping a lot of their guys, right? Maybe you don't keep the flexibility of trade options open for a guy like Heald or other veterans, you know, McConnell, Tice, whatever, who's in the mix, although he's not playing as much. Um, but, I, yeah, I certainly think if you extend Turner, you're committing more to the team that you have and – a shorter timeline than maybe they were even expecting when they started this project this offseason. Tony, uh, about how hard the Pacers play defensively, how much does the athleticism of the second unit feed into what they're able to do from a defensive standpoint? Yeah, they haven't really had this sort of athleticism <laughs> since I've been covering the team. Certainly, you know, they've had athletic players, but never this sort of group effort of athleticism. Uh, in, in the last five, six, seven years um, on this roster. And that was a priority for them this offseason, right? When they were talking about player types they would like to add or skill sets they wanted to add, shooting obviously something this team wanted. Uh, and, and athleticism was a big thing for Rick Carlisle. I think his his, um, his discussion about it was, we're not going to be last in dunks anymore, right? And obviously that's an offensive thing, but that does apply. Like being athletic on defense is, is super valuable, right? It allows you to stay in front of guys. It lets you move and, and be with whoever. And, and, and the modern NBA, that's, it's a little smaller. There's not as many bigs. You can get away with that against most teams. Ironically, one of the teams they can't is their opponent on Thursday, Cleveland. But you know, that that has been really helpful for them on the defensive end. That a lot of their new additions are, you know, some solid athletes who can stay in front of guys. Aaron Neesmith, definitely the most notable of that group. But even Benedict Matherin's athletic and can stay in front of guys, even though he has some team defense considerations to consider. Andrew Nembard is not the fastest guy, but you know, he's very functionally athletic, can slide in front of defenders, has been a great defender for this team all season. Like the athleticism of this team has been huge for them defensively and obviously their point of attack defense isn't good. It's one of this team's weaknesses certainly, but they they figured out how to adjust on that end and be a little better. They've gotten better at defense as the years progressed. Turner is of course athletic on the defensive end around the basket. It's really helped them, you know, become a more complete group on the defensive end of the floor in a way that they really weren't even at the start of this season and especially last year. 
Tony East takes the time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline for all your residential and commercial motors, as well as snowblowers, power tools, equipment, and so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers and the motorshop.com. Tony, when you measure the road trip the Pacers just went on and then this most recent outing against Atlanta, obviously still a test to be had against the Cavaliers, another foe in the East and a foe in division at that. But when you look at the last couple of weeks or so, has your pulse on the direction of this team changed at all, or is it still kind of in the middle of this could go one of two ways, but we still need to let it play out? Yeah, I think that it, it's, I'm in the play it out stage, although I've been really impressed with them this week. Like when they fell under 500 before this road trip, when they lost that home game to the Knicks, it was their second or third clutch loss in a row, and they just couldn't quite get over the hump. And they'd been slumping since that disaster loss against Brooklyn. I thought, you know, I'm not sure they'll get above 500 again this year. Maybe they get back to it a time or two, but you know, they didn't feel like they had their mojo. They didn't feel like they were playing well or responding to some of the stuff the other teams were throwing at them. And so this road trip was really impressive. Like, of course, beating Boston is impressive in any context, but doing that and then beating Miami and then coming home and, and really crushing the Hawks. Like, I did not – they've responded to a lot this season, but – I thought maybe they would fall off a little bit going into that trip, and they did not at all, to their credit. But, yeah, you know, 500 is a, is a tough spot in the NBA, right? You don't know really what you are, where you can go. And I think the wait-and-see approach makes the most sense for basically every team in that range, especially one that's in kind of year one of a new era, as Rick Carlisle called it, on day one of the season. So, of course, it's been impressive, right? Being seventh in East, I think they're dead tied with the Knicks for six, although the Knicks have the head-to-head tiebreaker, right? They're clearly good. They're in the playoff mix right now, and – some of these teams, 11th, 12th, you know, the, the Wizards, the Bulls, like they don't look like they're going to be good enough to, to move up a ton. Like the Pacers could very easily just kind of, not cruise, but kind of stumble into playing positioning as the season progresses. But I don't think that, you know, their, their, real, their long-term goals should change too much, even with this good stretch against good teams recently. I think they need to stay the course with their plan. Like it, it's hard to remember this because the Pacers have been so good this year, but like their two best players are the ones that are thought about like that for their long-term are. 22 and 20 years old. You know, that's what makes their winning so impressive is that they are so young. He's Tony East at T East NBA on Twitter. He's joining us on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and the MowerShop.com. Tony, you've been with the Pacers now a couple of years. You've seen them pre Tyrese Halliburton, currently with Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, last week, we had Scott Agnes on. He talked to Terry Taylor out in Vegas for the G League invite. Um, and he talked to Terry about Halliburton. He said, This total change in the Pacers' culture and everything is all Tyrese Halliburton. I want your opinion on that and if, what you've seen from this team, not only in the locker room from an energy and a chemistry, um, in an environmental standpoint uh, besides on the floor itself. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I think that their environment has 100% changed as he has come into the group. And Carlisle was talking about that last night on the stand. Like, he, you know, there's a lot of questions about him, obviously, because he's playing incredibly well recently. But you know, he, he's really good friends with, like, everybody on the team and in, in a good way, not like a you know a buddy-buddy kind of way, like in a really productive way that – brings everybody together and the word Carlisle always uses is he's a connector and that applies both as a teammate where you know he can bring guys together he can unite guys to a common goal he's you know good at he practice at you know gassing guys up and getting guys in the right position to succeed but also on the court it's you know knowing when a guy hasn't touched the ball in a while and needs to get involved or knowing what the game calls for at a specific time and how he can involve his teammates and what that takes and you know that's a hard role to play that connector role for a whole team like this especially one that 
is kind of a bunch of guys who haven't played together that much before. And he's done a fantastic job bringing that together. I think Taylor's perspective is certainly a very good one as he was on the team last year uh, in a bunch of different contexts. And last year's team, one of the most disappointing in Pacers franchise history. So Tyrese has been huge in their culture shift. And they've had some connectors like Oladipo was certainly that his first year with the team. And and they've had some good vets in that way, like Thad Young and Darren Collison. But Tyrese takes it to a whole other level that, you know, is of course great in the locker room when, when everybody can trust their star and follow his lead as a person, but it's also great on the court for getting other guys involved. And their culture has been special this year. You kind of need that if you're going to be a surprise team, and they've certainly had it. Tyrese is a big part of that. And what's also impressive about that is like, he's 22. Right? It's very rare for a team to have a leader that young. I asked James Johnson about it. You know, he's 35. He's been on a ton of teams. You know, he, the, the guy he equated it to is Derrick Rose, right, with the Bulls was the last – really young leader he he could remember like this uh, on a team. And I thought that was really fascinating for him to, to make that equation. And Tyrese has been that guy for the Pacers who's come in and you know their, their last era did not end well. They had a team that didn't fit together. A lot of bad vibes really not in the locker room, but just as a, as a group and as they were progressing. And he has certainly turned that around so quickly, right? They, he's only been with the Pacers for, for 10 months. It's really remarkable what he's been able to do. Tony, how much of a measuring stick is tomorrow's game against Cleveland? Because, of course, there's a chance at a little revenge factor after what happened on December 16th, losing at Cleveland. But then, look, man, you look at the standings. The Pacers are only three games back of the 76ers for fifth and four games back of the Cavs for fourth. So what will Thursday's game tell you most if the Pacers are able to compete? Yeah, the first time they played the Cavs, like, they, they beat the Pelicans. In the, they just lost to the Pelicans again. But they beat the Pelicans in early November. But outside of that, they had yet to beat a team – uh, at that first time they played Cleveland, that was like in the top three or four of either conference uh, at the time, and they lost the Cavs that night after a horrible ending. Now, obviously, they've beaten Boston since then, and the Nets' ascent means they have beaten good teams in the East, but you know, it, it, every every really good opponent is a measuring stick for this Pacers team in that they, they haven't really done amazing against the top-level opponents this season. They've done pretty well, I would say, but not amazing, and, and especially for them, they, they just lost to the Cavs, right? Donovan Mitchell tore them up. They did a, a terrible job down the stretch of that game in the clutch. They did so again against the Knicks, and they've kind of gotten over their clutch woes in some recent games. I think it's a measuring stick game one because they're playing a talented team that has, you know, potentially as many as, you know, four guys who could be in the all-star mix, Mobley, Allen, uh, and the two guards in Garland and Mitchell, but also just because, you know, how do they respond to a game like that, right? Like, how, how do they respond to a game where they were playing much better than their opponent the whole time just to blow it at the end, and it, it's a very talented Cleveland team. to learn a lot about the Pacers' ability to respond against these good teams, their ability to play against a really good Cavs team that, I mean, as things shake out, could be their first-round playoff opponent, right, depending on how the standings keep going, and it's a division team they'll be playing a ton in the next couple of years. Like, it's a measuring stick game for them for a million reasons, but really uh, it's mostly because it's of their ability to respond like they have all season. Right? Every time they're down, they get back up, they, they – keep finding themselves in situations where they need to respond, but they keep doing it and, and finding ways to win. And they need to respond to the way they closed last time against the Cavs. I think they can win. Uh, you know, they, they, they certainly had the blueprint, but uh, th- this team has shown that a lot of times in those games they don't end up winning, but they also are, again, fantastic at responding. So we'll see. I think it's a good measuring stick game for them in many ways. Tony, we're a couple of weeks away from the trade deadline, or not the trade deadline, but the discussions of trade filing being able to happen uh, when – you look at the Pacers and the deadline itself. One, do they have any trade exceptions? I can't remember if they created one last year. And two, if they do, uh, do you expect them to use that? Uh, when they dip under the cap, they lose all the trade exceptions. But the salary cap is effect, or excuse me, salary cap space is effectively 
a giant trade exception, right? Like they could acquire a player and send nothing back in exchange. They have to send a team something, I guess, like a draft rights or a second round pick or something. But you know, they could take in a player making any amount of money without sending out any salary, which is effectively a trade exception that the salary cap allows them to have. And that that means anything is possible. And one that will lead to you know rumors abound from from every angle of the internet as trade season progresses, but it also, you know, gives the Pacers a lot of flexibility, something Kevin Pritchard loves that, you know, any, any player they want, that they, they have means to make a trade that makes sense for them. Right? They don't have to make it, you know, weird salary stuff that makes it so different assets are involved or they don't have to satisfy different needs for another team. Like they can just say, we can have the player, what assets do you want? And that kind of, you know, makes things easier from any perspective, buying, selling, whatever they decide to do. Our guy, Tony East. Nobody covers the Pacers like him. We always appreciate the time. Tony, have a great New Year's, man. We'll see you soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Tony East on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com for all your snowblowers, commercial and residential mowers, plus service and power tools. I think it's interesting, Jimmy, how he said that he did not think the Pacers would get back to above 500 after those most, most recent road trip losses, but... This is truly a team that no matter what happens, win or loss, you kind of do have to take it with a grain of salt because they'll surprise you almost every night. And to Tony's initial point, his thought isn't wrong yet, right? They're a game above 500 right now, and he said that while he didn't think they were going to get to above 500, he could see maybe doing it a time or two again this season. Right now, is this a time or two, or is this a bounce-back stretch where the Pacers are able to put together you know, winning five of their next seven or winning four in a row? Any stretch you want to go on it, you reminded us of a great point, BK. It's another measuring stick game against the Cavaliers, another top team in the Eastern Conference that has built through the draft and then made a big-time trade to bring in Donovan Mitchell to complement their core. Those are the ways for these smaller market teams like Cleveland, like Indiana, to suddenly take a team that is middling to middle-of-the-pack playoff contender and turn them into a real championship caliber contender. That's what the Cavs did. There's so many different ways to build a championship franchise. The Pacers are in the infancy of that right now. Tony mentioned the age of the core, current core of Tyrese Halliburton and a Bennett Mather, just highlighting those two specifically. So they're definitely overachieving right now, but where the rest of this season goes, Tony might not be wrong yet. None of us are rooting for that, but it, how do they handle after that road trip? How do they handle now? these next couple of weeks is really getting into the there's no dog days of summer right in the NBA schedule but it is still a slog through 82 games how does this young team navigate through it and where they end up by the time we get not just to the playoffs but to the trade deadline is what I'm most interested to see well just as you think they might have just gotten done with murderers row here's the next four Cleveland tomorrow New Year's Eve the Clippers come in Toronto on Monday the second that's a sneaky game and then at Philly on Wednesday the 4th. So that's the next four right there. Just when you think you got done with, boy, I'm I'm tired. You got four straight against teams that can beat the crap out of you. There's a lot of parity in the middle of the Eastern Conference. You could argue top to bottom, but you're seeing a little bit more separation now. Just a tad with the likes of Boston and Milwaukee. One of those teams, of course, the Pacers beat a couple nights ago. So, yes, those tests are going to be there. The schedule's going to continue to get tougher, BK. However... Why it becomes measuring stick games is because you look at those matchups, they are against teams that are near 
where you are seating wise. Just a couple games back, like you mentioned, the Cavaliers, uh, just a four game separation there on the lost side between the Cavs and the Pacers. Well, that Toronto game, especially, you wonder if the Pacers scouts may be watching that one closely, if they have any interest in OG Ananobi. That's going to be an interesting name as you get closer to the trading deadline. Good show the rest of the way. Again, Nathan Baird, who covers Ohio State football for Cleveland.com. Is that right, Jimmy? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. He's going to join us next after the break. Remember, Kevin Harlan slated for two o'clock. The Great Kevin Harlan, the voice of Westwood One and CBS and NBA 2K, a guy that many, many broadcasters look up to, including ourselves. And at 2.30, our good buddy Tom Noy from the South Bend Tribune to talk all things Notre Dame. It is a huge show here on a Wednesday afternoon. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook. Eddie Garrison is here. We are back after the break with Nathan Baird talking some college football playoff. Fan... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Midday show rolling on. Jimmy Cook and Brennan King getting you through the week. Big sports weekend, not just Colts-Giants, not just Pacers still in action, not just New Year's Eve. But the college football playoff, always great when it coincides on New Year's Eve, when it falls actually on the day, and it's on that Saturday window, as it will be this year when the college football playoff takes place. Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and Ohio State. Your four teams left standing. And of all those teams, at least early on, what could have an impact on maybe the future of the Colts and what they're doing at the quarterback position is, of course, the Ohio State Buckeyes. So we turn now to Nathan Baird, Ohio State football reporter for Cleveland.com, who is in Atlanta for the college football playoff. Nathan, first off, thanks for taking the time for us. And, and second, uh, what what's the season been like just from the, the, the beat standpoint of obviously you have a, a contender all season and one of the most electric offenses in football, but how has the beat been this year? And I hope you had a safe trip down there for the playoff. Uh, thanks. Yeah, I, I did have a, a safe trip down. It was a long trip down, obviously. Like a lot of other people, my flights uh, didn't work out, so I drove from chicago to atlanta yesterday that was a fun experience but uh uh, you know the season has uh, more or less unfolded how we expected you know we knew this was going to be another prolific offense that's what they've built here for a long time at ohio state with tj stroud coming back and uh now there were a couple wrinkles along the way though obviously you know jackson smith and jigba who was supposed to you know was a preseason all-american and set the big 10 record for uh, receiving yards in a season last year is basically unavailable all year. Got hurt on opening night and it just never got right after that. It was sort of an on-again, off-again thing, and they finally have shut him down, and he's not available for the postseason, and neither is Trevion Henderson, who rushed for 1,100 yards last year as a freshman, but very similarly was kind of in and out of the lineup this year and could never quite get a foot issue fixed so to where now they're going to have to have surgery and uh, he's out for the postseason. So uh, in in their place, some other guys have stepped up, notably Marvin Harrison Jr., obviously a a, a well-known name in, in Indianapolis that is the son of the, the Hall of Famer and uh, has had a breakout year, was a, a unanimous All-American. And he and Stroud, the connection that they made, have really helped fill in for what they missed with, with Smith and Jigba. Well, we knew the offense was going to be that strong. The question mark was whether the defense could rebound from where it was last year. Last year, they won games in spite of the defense, and this year they trended more towards winning some games because of the defense. You know, Jim Knowles, they hired him in from Oklahoma State, where he had done a great job to sort of revamp the defense. 
And it, through 11 games, you had a lot of evidence that that had worked. You know, some guys had really stepped up. You know, linebacker was a problem last year. Some of the same guys were all of a sudden a real strength this year because of the way Knowles was using them, letting them play downhill and be really aggressive. Some new faces had, had stepped up on the defensive line. The, the secondary was coming together. And then against Michigan, you know, five explosive plays lead to five touchdowns and just sort of buried them. And that's even though it's such a successful year, you know, 11-1, and they're in the playoff, they can still win a national championship. But that game and those five plays have really kind of hung over this defense coming into this game. And then similarly, the offense, only scoring three points in the second half against Michigan, has also sort of hung over this experience. You know, it's supposed to be kind of a, a surge going into the playoff. And I think the team itself is feeling that. But, like, the conversation around the team, you're asking about the beat, the conversation around the team is still – uh, how much of the things that we saw against Michigan, which is the best team they played all year, how much of that is evidence that um, maybe they aren't at that level, that they're a step below that, and what do they have to prove, not to themselves maybe, but to everybody else, that they can do against Georgia? Nathan, it's Brendan. First off, I'm a Chicago guy originally, and my parents now live in Florida, so I've done that drive between Chicago and Atlanta a lot. So once you once you get to those winding roads of Tennessee and the Georgia, that really keeps you awake. Yeah. Um, but yeah. you, you mentioned the hangover maybe coming from that Michigan game, and that's nearly a month ago by the last time that the Buckeyes saw the field. So the sour taste being in the mouths of... Ohio State, really from Thanksgiving to Christmas, how has Ryan Day kind of kept the composure of that locker room, the fact that you haven't seen a football field in game fashion in a month? Well, when it looked like it had knocked them out of the playoff, and it had for that week, until Utah beat USC, Ohio State was not going to make the playoff after that loss to Michigan. So at that point, it looked devastating. Now when you look at it as being something that this team can sort of rally around and get galvanized by, uh, it might be a positive to push them toward the playoff now. They got exposed, so it made them go back and reassess some things, which you shouldn't have to learn those things from a loss, but sometimes you learn them better from a loss than when you make mistakes in a win. And it has definitely put a little bit of a chip on this team's shoulder. They're definitely tired of talking about that game. Uh, they want to just focus on this next game, even though Michigan is sitting out there as a possible championship game opponent for whoever wins this game. They did a pretty smart thing, I think, which is even before they knew they were going to be in the playoff and certainly before they knew they were going to play Georgia, right after that Michigan game, you know, there was a couple days of feeling sorry for themselves, and then they had to get back to practice. And the way that they got back in that mindset was to start planning for Georgia. They just moved right to that because they knew that was the most likely opponent if they did get back in. And I think that sort of helped set a tone to, to push this team back into the right mindset because um, now you're talking about a team that really doesn't have anything to lose in some ways. They're playing the number one seed in Atlanta, so they're Georgia's backyard. Uh, Georgia's the one that's you know the defending national champion, undefeated. Like they've got uh, a lot of things that they you know, they're they're favored in this game. Ohio State over the years under Ryan Day will has has done a decent job of like conjuring an underdog narrative to try to help it when it feels like you get slighted by something out in the media or whatever. But this year they don't have to. Like, they are the underdog. Like, they are not the best team in the Big Ten anymore. They have to go prove that. They have to go get that back. And they're not expected to beat Georgia by a lot of people. And uh, I think that maybe plays into their favor here. Like, they get to kind of come in with a, a different energy and, and try to build off of that. 
two-part question here for you, Nathan. Nathan Baird, nice enough to take some time with us, covers the Buckeyes for Cleveland.com. And, of course, you can hear his work as well on the Buckeye Talk podcast. Find that wherever you get your podcast, a part of Cleveland.com, the Buckeye Talk community. When you look at C.J. Stroud, Colts fans are going to continue to be like most teams that are in their position, devouring mock drafts and analyzing everything. Uh, Two-part question, A, what type of foundation has been set for C.J. Stroud that you've seen this year that would lead him to excel at the NFL level like he's being touted as as the number one or number two quarterback off the board in this year's draft? And secondly, with this being probably the best defense he's faced all year, what type of measurements can be taken from his performance uh, in the semifinal this weekend? Yeah, good question. Uh, You know, Ryan Day, his head coach now, is a former NFL quarterbacks coach has an NFL background. So this has kind of been his MO since he got to Ohio State. You know, Dwayne Haskins first and then Justin Fields and now CJ Stroud. You know, and this is the first one that is a guy that he handpicked through the recruiting process and brought in and it was kind of built from the ground up. So it's a it maybe a different um a, a, a new way of, of new perspective on what Ryan Day can do. But all those guys, you know, had great success in their college careers. And were then, you know, top, you know, first round draft picks into the NFL. So Stroud is just a continuance of that process, and he has the background here. I mean, I think Ryan Day gives him a good foundation. And and one thing that is maybe he's, I would say, maybe the most um, NFL like of those quarterbacks. Obviously, we've seen with Justin Fields. Uh, there's a lot of athleticism in his game that C.J. Stroud doesn't necessarily have. But what C.J. Stroud has is a, an ability to process. He has a, a touch on his passes. He is His biggest asset is really his mind and the way that he sees the field and the way that he sees things pre-snap and the way he you know, evaluates in, under fire. Like Those are all the most important parts of his game. That's what has made him the quarterback he is, the two-time Heisman Trophy finalist. The, you know, he's number two in the country right now in – uh, quarterback efficiency rating. And I, that's the other thing I bring up to people. You look at his raw stats, and they've actually dipped since last year, but it's because he's throwing, I think, an average of like seven fewer times per game. Don't look at the counting stats. Go look at the, the actually important stats. Go look at quarterback efficiency rating. Go look at yards per attempt. Go look at completion percentage, and if you can find it, find like the, uh, the uh, adjusted completion percentage where you start talking about like depth of target and things like that. Like all of those things uh, – really are in, in Stroud's favor. I mean, they were they were in Fields' favor, too, actually, when he was coming out. And I think you're starting to see that in a rough situation in Chicago start to pay off. And Stroud, as an NFL prospect, I think would also be able to step in, at least as a passer, and and be up to speed pretty quick and, and make that transition. Now, again, he is not as athletic as Fields is. I, I do wonder how that's going to be at the NFL level. His protection should be obviously better at the NFL level, but he hardly ever uses his legs in, in any way at Ohio State. And I'm not even talking about on design runs. I'm talking about like even as a scrambler. It's, it's very rare. It's worked a couple times when they've done it, but they don't ask him to do that at all. So that's one aspect. He's not going to be a dual-threat guy. Whoever gets him is getting a true pocket passer. But we've seen in Indianapolis that uh, true pocket passers have worked out pretty well. I'm not you know, he's not the next uh, right, Manning, right. but but I'm saying that that style of quarterback can still be a success in the NFL, even though we've seen uh, kind of a different trend start there. And this is something that he's been building for now for a while. He was an underrated guy coming out of high school, kind of under-recruited, 
Ohio State got in on him late, got kind of a steal. He was a very late riser. And really, since he got his shoulder right last year, you know, early on last year, some struggles being a first-time starter and having a, a bum shoulder, took a week off. And really, since that point, has been as good as anybody in college football. Nathan, when it comes to the Ohio State receiving core, I feel like it's just a reload after reload every single year. And you could clearly see that now in the NFL with the guys like Terry McLaurin, Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, all seeing success. Uh, Here in Indianapolis, of course, Paris Campbell is on the Colts, and Paris, unfortunately, has just struggled with injuries that have really hampered his career. I think everybody knows about Marvin Harrison, and I think there's a fair amount of people in Indianapolis that want to see (laughs) Junior in a a Colts uniform just as much as they did Senior. But the guys on the roster right now, wide receivers for Ohio State, do you think they could be to the McLaurin-Olave level, or is it um, kind of more down year after um, after Harrison when it comes to the other receivers? Well, if Colts fans want Marvin Harrison Jr., then they better be okay with stinking really bad again. Right, in right, right, right. Because he's right now probably going to be the first receiver off the board. At least it's trending that way. He is, he is really impressive. And it's, 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 you have to sometimes see it to fully appreciate it. But his ability to make plays on a ball um, through just you know, athleticism and body control He's been a pro for a while just in terms of his work ethic. And some of that comes from his dad and watching him and being around a professional environment. Some of it comes from his mom, who's somebody who like, you know, works a, a couple of, in a couple of fields and gets up early and, and, and goes out and, and, and gets it done. And um, those things, have re- his family has really set him up to have the work ethic necessary to do the things he does now. So absolutely, he is one of those guys. Like, there's not been a lot of guys now since I've been covering college football in the Big Ten that like really jump. There's a there's a small subset of guys like Saquon Barkley, Rondell Moore, and Marvin Harrison Jr. Absolutely goes in that category where it's just special when you watch it. Uh, the other big guy that has really come on this year, Emeka Ibuka, uh, another guy who was number one in his uh, recruiting class, who's actually ahead of, of Harrison Jr. as far as the recruiting rankings. And he's more, he's been in the slot. He's taken the slot spot that would have gone to Jackson Smith to Jigba. But he was going to start on the outside if he hadn't done that. He's a really versatile guy. He's a little bit more of a, a physical but inside presence. And definitely someone that I think just with his, um, his, his short uh, area uh, abilities, but also his ability, the speed he has to, to turn those into some breakaways, I think are going to be big um, someday in the NFL too. And he, the, what's interesting about him was, uh, you know, he was a little bit behind Marvin Harrison Jr. coming into this year. We'd seen Harrison Jr. break out in the Rose Bowl last year with a three-touchdown game. And Ibuka was a little bit more of an unknown. We weren't sure if he was going to separate from Julian Fleming and win that third job. But it seemed like he started to uh, because they started, again, just see some of those special characteristics, uh, those X factors start to come through for him. So what does he do next year um, when they're going to have to break it in a first-time starting quarterback uh, that that takes that to a next level. But I would expect both of those guys in particular to be uh, really strong NFL prospects. Nathan, when you look at Stroud and you look at the, the system that Ryan Day has been able to develop within Ohio State, I, I hate the phrase system quarterback, but I also think that for any quarterback, particularly a pocket passer like what Stroud trends out to be, you need weapons around him. There's question marks that the Colts really have a number one on this roster. They have a couple solid number twos. Alec Pierce looks sharp as a rookie. How will a quarterback like Stroud, in your mind, gel or struggle if he's having to, to force the issue or make more plays versus at Ohio State right now? The complimentary pieces that he has are endless. 
Yeah, I think that's a, that's an interesting question. And, you know, you can go back to the Rose Bowl last year when uh, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave both opted out and because they were heading off to the NFL and that game didn't, you know, mean anything the way a playoff game does. And that left him with, you know, freshmen, basically. You know, Marvin Harrison Jr. was a true freshman. Emeka Abuka is a true freshman. Uh, you know, Julian Fleming was a second-year guy but hadn't played a whole lot at that point. Like, they were definitely having to uh, go down to the next level of guys. They really hadn't played much at all during the season, and they turn in a huge game. You know, Smith and Jigba was still there, but, um, you know, Harrison with the three touchdowns. Abuka had some big catches in that game. So when they've had to make those substitutions, it's typically – you know, he can make plays with other guys. I'm thinking back to the, the – you can go back and look at the season opener against Notre Dame. Um, after uh, you know, Fleming missed that game, Smith and Jigba had gotten hurt, so they've got a former walk-on in Xavier Johnson on the field at a crucial spot in that game, you know, second half. And it comes down to – I can't remember if it was a third or fourth down play, um, but they, they go uh, – Notre Dame is bringing a zero blitz. He has kind of a, you know, a nonverbal communication with Xavier Johnson – and just it hits this guy over the top for a, a touchdown that was really the deciding player in the game. And that's, that's definitely not a future like NFL first-round receiving prospect that he's doing that with. So I don't necessarily think he's reliant on weapons. He is going to be reliant, though, on protection. He is going to be reliant on uh, an offensive-minded coach or at least someone who gets the right personnel in place in terms of an offensive coordinator and a quarterback's coach to kind of nurture a, a young quarterback. I think that's true of anybody, though. I, I, there aren't that many guys who can come in and, and just do it completely on their own. I think there's probably going to be – he's only a third-year player. He will have two years of starting. But I, I wouldn't expect him to come in right away and just light up the NFL. But I think the, the, the tools are there to, to be very productive in a short amount of time. Because, again, just the way he – he watches a ton of film. He watches, I think, the most film of anybody on this roster. Maybe you should expect that out of the quarterback, but I think it's been like demonstrably proven that he does. And you can have great conversations with him about just the way he watches football, the way he processes football. Um, if, if Colts fans are looking at the quarterbacks who are going to be coming out this year, I mean, there's a reason why Stroud is, is seen in the way he is. Uh, there are questions to be answered as far as what you're talking about, uh, just the receiving talent that's here obviously being in such an abundance. That even applies to that Utah game in the Rose Bowl because Utah was basically throwing running backs out there at DB in that game because they had some injury situations. So you have to take that with a grain of salt. But there are other I mean, guys, you know, the tight end here, Cade Stover, other guys who are, are not necessarily upper-tier NFL prospects have still been able to thrive just because of the way that Stroud can read and lead this offense. That's Nathan Baird. Again, you can find his work on cleveland.com and, of course, listen to their continued coverage on the Buckeye Talk podcast via the Buckeye Talk community, cleveland.com, wherever you get your podcast for Buckeye Talk there. Nathan, enjoy the college football playoff. Thanks for making the time for us and looking forward to following along with the semifinal and beyond. Yeah, anytime, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Nathan. Okay, that's Nathan Baird. Follow him on Twitter at NWBaird, brought to you us by the Motor Shop and Fishers Hotline. Go to the Motor Shop and Fishers, themotorshop.com for all your residential and commercial mowers, as well as snow blowers, power tools, equipment, so much more. The Motor Shop has you covered at the Motor Shop and Fishers or themotorshop.com. We're going to step away. We come back. We'll put a bow around the second hour of the show. Kevin Harlan of CBS Sports, of Westwood One, you name it, 
He's covered it. He'll be on the call with Trent Green for Colts Giants this weekend. We'll get his take on the Colts, just the state of the NFL and the importance of the quarterback position. Tom Noy, bottom of next hour, talking Notre Dame football as they prepare for their bowl game. Jimmy Cook and Brendan King on the Fan Midday Show. Back in a moment on the Fan. Kevin Harling. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Coming up at 2 o'clock, CBS, Westwood One, NBA 2K. Jimmy, how many times has Kevin Harlan said your name and he has no idea because of your NBA My Player? UK. Oh man, uh, countless, countless. Yeah, I mean, I, he, good on you dropping called, the two K ref. He's called I, me the he's called me the superstar eight hundred times, and he has probably has no idea he's going to talk to a guy that yeah. dropped <laughs> a guy that dropped triple double after triple double in a video game. That's a great man. That's awesome. I so I, I didn't reference at the last tease about the 2k aspect but yeah you talk about video game voices i mean as as fun Brother, as I mean, look at who we're having it, we it, get bg we get we get kevin i mean it, it, all we need is boog and we'll, we'll complete the trifecta yeah um or i guess vascursion could also count from the show sure um yep. get, i don't know if you were ever a big shell guy gary thorne was always uh, gary thorne was my favorite voice of nhl yeah i don't know if you ever played shell growing up every, but. every now and again but not as much as the others yeah they, be but because they had doc emmerich for a minute and then he stopped and then they brought in some guy i've never heard of from toronto who is just dreadful in in the show, no, it's, it's terrible. It's it, it, from what you had, you went from Gary Thorne to Doc to this guy that nobody's ever heard of in Shell. So, well, not as many people probably care about this, but when they brought in Kevin Harlan and 2K kind of pressed a reset button for 2K11, it was the Jordan edition, and they were doing things in the commentary booth to set up those games where they were updating it weekly. They were updating it so whenever you played, particularly if you're playing exhibition mode. It didn't sound as generic as, you know, a, yeah. an N64 yeah. game or PS2 or PS3 game. It sounded fresh and, and like you were literally controlling an association team with announcers that were right there in the living room with you. So even though indirectly he's not on the technical side of that, he's done so much. And for that aspect, there's so many young sports fans that have grown up with Kevin Harlan, not just as a radio or TV voice, but much like Brandon Gone right now on the Madden side of things that when they're playing video games, they're friends. Well, we know what Brind- uh, not Brenda, but Jimmy did when he was a kid growing up. Played a lot of 2K. A lot of 2K. Love me some 2K. Well, uh, you know what? I it, Is NBA Live still a thing? Because it was going back and forth, I feel like, for a while there, no? I don't know if it went under again a second time, but pre-COVID, it was still active. I, have, I don't play live anymore. 2K separated itself it did, right and, around And so much so, I didn't play live 2K growing up, but I did have like NBA Jam and that type of stuff. But go, going into college, like somebody asked, hey, do you want to play NBA Live? I said, you mean 2K? It, it, yeah. Like, I, the people that bought NBA Live and not 2K, that was just a little weird. My, my shift, yeah. My shift happened right around... Yeah, right around 2011 or so when that game launched because they had Jordan on the cover and they were putting in like all these epic throwback teams and just everything about that game was awesome. Again, not a lot of people probably care about this, but uh, 2K now has a lot of gripes, right? Like they've set, set up they microcurrency yeah. and they, they don't worry about franchise mode, all that fun. But anyway, the long around it is 
Kevin Harlan, one of those, I don't want to say pioneers, but of this next age of sports video games, his voice will be forever intertwined with the way games have adapted. Like Madden now, they had Brandon Gaughan and, and Charles Davis, like they're sitting in a booth yeah. together weekly or, or, or telecommuting with it and having updated, refreshing stuff. And that all started with Kevin Harlan and company with 2K11. If we're actually going to do this and we go the merry-go-round of sports video game voices, <laughs> Eddie's going to have to put in a call for Ian Dark so we get some oh, feedback. action. Have too. to. Have to. Have to. Uh, that's awesome. Kevin Harlan, again, joins us next. The great television voice from CBS Sports, radio side on Westwood One. And, of course, a lot of folks know him from the NBA 2K action. Looking forward to catching up with Kevin. Tom Noy from the South Bend Tribune at 2.30. I'm Brendan King with Jimmy Cook and Eddie Garrison. Kevin Harlan next on The Fan. 38. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Eight years and counting as an NFL play-by-play broadcaster, 37 years and counting as an NBA broadcaster. 12 consecutive Super Bowls. The list goes on and on. One of my favorite broadcasters, not just right now, but in the business sports broadcast, somebody that me and BK both looked up to and always appreciate when he makes time for us here in Indianapolis. It is Kevin Harlan of Westwood One of Turner Sports. Nice enough to make some time for us today. Kevin, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for your kind words. Great to be on with you guys and a early Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. Thanks again for making the time. Kevin, you have had the opportunity for observations for this Colts team early on uh, already this season a couple of times in Monday Night Football. And then, of course, you and Trent Green will be on the call for the matchup against the Giants this weekend. Uh, just focusing, I guess, on that Chargers game and the body of work the Colts have put together this season. It's been rough here in Indianapolis. What's been your national observation of this team and the the rough stretch they're going as they are more focused on 2023 right now than 2022? Well, we saw them first in Las Vegas uh, on Jeff's first um, head coaching game, and um, they certainly played well uh, against Vegas, and and Matt Ryan – I recall him running for a big play late in the game. And then we had uh, the game a couple weeks ago and the Monday night game in um, in Indy. And then we had the game on Monday. So this will be my fourth look at him. And the third time this season that I saw him on Monday, I thought the same thing. Terrific defense. Surprised their offensive line has struggled. And with no Jonathan Taylor, certainly it kind of cuts the soul right out of the Offense, it's the one thing, when healthy, that you could kind of count on. And just disappointed to see uh, a season that I think, you know, like a lot of people thought that the Colts would win the division, has gone astray and unraveled so, uh, you know, unbelievably. Frank's gone. Jeff is there. There's a lot going on around him. Team is just trying to hold on and keep their composure and finish off these next two games and It'll be an interesting offseason for sure. Some big decisions 
have got to be made. And my guess is that no, no corner of the organization will go um, uh, unlooked. That uh, they'll they'll definitely survey exactly what they've got, and um, they need a face with the organization. They've they've tried to not to extend the answer, but they've they've tried to certainly patch up. The, uh, the incredible disappointment of Andrew retiring a handful of years ago, and you're all f- so familiar with that story. But since that time, from Rivers to Ryan and now Foles and Ellinger in between and, and, and Jacoby, it's been, it's been a rough ride. And so I think with every good organization, you've got um, you know a, a Frank Reich-type guy, a respected voice in that locker room. Maybe it's going to be Jeff Saturday. He's in the process of trying to become who he wants to be in that position, and then quarterback. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the surprised uh, retirement um, by by luck a couple years ago has not been something that the organization has easily rebounded from. And I may add, I don't know that any organization could lose a face and a name and a talent like that and show immediate, you know, response in the positive. It, it's it's been d- difficult. Clearly, I, I did like when when Rivers was in there um, and brought you to the playoffs, but clearly that was not a long term answer. And I think that's got to be one of the main priorities, certainly, of that organization is to figure out what you're going to do at head coach and what you're going to do at quarterback. Hey, Kevin, it's Brendan. Hope you've been enjoying the holidays. When it comes to getting a shot in the arm. For the Colts, what is it most that they need? Do they need to address the quarterback merry-go-round and go young? Do they need more weapons when it comes to a wide receiver standpoint? Do they need to address the offensive line most? What needs to be the first thing in your mind? Well, there's a lot of it, and I think once you uh, have, you know, kind of look and survey the, the landscape of where the team is, and offense seems to be the big issue right now, is you've got to look at quarterback. Your running back seems to be set. I mean, he is an elite running back. Uh, there, there clearly is some uh, talent there at, at tight end. You know, Jelani is coming around and had a couple nice catches the other night as that size. Uh, um, and then the line, you know, I, I, I don't know that 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 you've got a good building block in in, in Quentin Nelson and and um, at least from his past experience and and what he's done. But until the quarterback thing is figured out, I, I don't know that anything is figured out. Until you get your quarterback, I don't know that you really have a hand on the rudder. And and that becomes the biggest thing for every organization. And, you know, this organization thought they had done it right in the wake of Peyton Manning. Um, they they cratered. They get luck. He, can, he brings them back up again. And sometimes you get that, that great talent at quarterback it sometimes doesn't, you know, really matter, you know, how good around him they've got stuff, what kind of weapons they have at his disposal, and how he can use them. He's usually smart enough, wherever that franchise quarterback is, to figure it out and make even ordinary players really good. I thought Peyton did that. I thought Luck had done that. And and um, and 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 so he can the, the the franchise quarterback, you know, can hide a lot of issues. The problem is finding that guy. And and I, the Colts thought they had done everything right, and they had, and they got uh, they were victimized clearly. I mean, he he retires a couple of weeks or whatever until the beginning of the season. 
And, and that's the kind of thing that is such a blow to an organization, especially someone like Luck, who was a terrific, had great character, was a leader on the field, had the resume you want, like everything was buttoned down for the next, you know, 12, 15 years with him as your guy. And then when he goes, you spend a lot of time trying to collect the the wreckage. And it's been an ongoing pursuit. And I don't mean to make light of him leaving or, or minimize it, but I don't think it can be, you know, talked about enough just what, you know, him leaving has done, how they've tried to band-aid it and patch it up, and it just they clearly have had no answer, as most organizations wouldn't. You just don't lose someone like Luck and before that Manning and expect to become what you were or want to be, and and that that's that's difficult. So I, I, I quite frankly, I feel sorry for the organization. They've they've made moves that other teams would make. They got Ryan, who is a former MVP. They got you know, Rivers in his last year, and that proved to be a, a good move and something collaborative with him and Frank. And and uh, but but it was not sustaining, and we've seen that since. And that's that's kind of where they find themselves right now. You get a 33 year old Nick Foles. You try to bring in Ryan, which on paper looks good, and maybe a fresh start for him with a mind like Reich, and it it just it just disintegrates before your eyes, and then you're left thinking, now what? And that's kind of where they are. You're changing coaches you're bringing in someone who's never coached and hoping that he can have you know some kind of positive effect and the the reports that we got were that he has brought the team together galvanized them a little bit shown a little bit of a a steady hand on that rudder but whether he's the long-term answer and and that makes the most sense for the organization going forward you know that's that's going to have to be decided and that's a pretty big that's a pretty big decision to make Kevin Harlan of Turner Sports and Westwood One. Nice to take some time with us via the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline and themotorshop.com. Kevin, to kind of take fans behind the curtain for a second, when you're preparing for a broadcast, you're going to have your, in preparation for it, your meetings or conversations with coaches and players. I know that the Giants, in theory, you're obviously a national broadcaster, so it's impartial, but they're the bigger story in terms of being in contention and having a playoff opportunity to be locked up with a win against the Colts, but from the Colts' perspective, what's the top of yours and Trent's mind, or if you've already had those conversations, what is what were the top of your mind in terms of the Colts and the biggest questions they try to navigate through these final two weeks of the season? Well, I'd like to think that Foles, with a couple of weeks of practice with the Ones, will be uh, sharper than he was on Monday. He looked rusty. He hasn't played. We know that only two snaps all season before they gave him the starting, you know, ball. And, and that's that's a tough thing, even for a guy like him who's been in the Super Bowl and and had some pretty incredible individual seasons along his path. No doubt he's got a big arm, a smart guy. Um, but as I recall, a couple of years ago, he wanted to retire. And so I guess you're kind of left thinking, well, what has happened since that thought? Now that he's with the Colts, he's been backing up. He hasn't played, and now he is. And end of the season, and uh, the team going no place. And you know, what can he? Kind of, is he interested in playing beyond this year? Is he a guy that that uh, you know, given you know that role and a couple of weeks in practice with the ones, shows a little bit of what he once was. And and does the team uh, collectively? And I know there are a lot of character guys on that team. Clearly, uh, are there enough of them? 
to say, you know what, this is our playoff game. Here we got a team that, that has a lot to play for. Um, we didn't pass the test against the Chargers, who were in the same boat on Monday. A win, and they were in, and they won, and they're now in. Uh, here's another team, you know, an unfamiliar foe we're going to see. Um, you know, can we can we rev up enough and, and show enough here that we can be, um, you know, a, a worthy opponent? And a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were in Houston, Trent and I were, and did the Chiefs at the Texans with the worst record in pro football, and they took the Chiefs to overtime. And they played with a lot of pride. They got a lot of young players that they like. They played with a lot of pride. So I'd like to think that would show up. I I, I do think that uh, psychologically, mentally, uh, the blow they got in Minnesota. Um, I, I don't. I, human nature would tell you that it, it would be very difficult to shake what happened uh, up there on that on that Saturday. That 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 was. It was embarrassing, I'm sure, for the organization. We know it was embarrassing for the players. Um, and trying to gather yourself after that has got to be a monumental task. I don't know how anyone could go through that, have that happen to them, and not be affected by it in some way. And maybe we saw the residual of that against the Chargers on Monday. Um, but time does heal, and they'll be a couple weeks removed from that game. So maybe they go into New York and they play hard and say, let's – you know, we're, and here's the other thing about the NFL, which is not true in the NBA. Um, the NBA has so many games, and guys are resting, and it becomes disappointing sometimes when guys sit out when people are expecting them to play. So clearly in the NBA, there are too many games. Because if all these guys need rest, clearly you've got too many games for this player at this age of, of, of his career and where the league is. If you've got players sitting and resting, then then you've got too many games. So so that has got to be dealt with. And in the NFL, um, you know, that extra game has been really talked about. We really don't know where that stands and how that figures in. But I can tell you that with NFL players, um, there is effort every play. And I saw that from the Colts on Monday. The score wouldn't reflect it. The statistics wouldn't reflect that. But I saw a team that had not given up, and they, it just wasn't working. They were getting nothing out of their offense. They lost their best player in Taylor. They're, they're trying to they got a new third quarterback of the year. Like they're trying to figure out what's going on here. But I can tell you this: in the NFL, every snap is looked at. Every play matters in the NFL, and and I I, I hope they don't increase it over seventeen. It looks like they're in that direction. I'm afraid we're bordering on what the NBA is going through right now and guys resting because they're too tired. Uh, you've got too many games. In the NFL, we're like right at that tipping point. And we may not be there quite yet, but but uh, I can tell you that, that most every player that I watch in the NFL knows that even if they're on a bad team, even if they're on a bad offense or defense, that individually that tape is looked at by GMs and scouting guys all over the league. And, and that sometimes will hatch a new career path with another team. So they don't give up in the NFL. They play every snap hard, every snap. And that's what gives me faith when I watch a team go in there with four wins like the Colts and a team that may be a little bit tight in the Giants, home crowd, a lot to play for, trying to get in, trying to seal the deal. You just never know. When a team never gives up, and the Colts are a team that never gives up, when you never give up, 
you know that, that anything can happen on a Sunday. And so that's kind of what we hang our hat on with CBS, and I'm sure they do at the other networks, that you know that if, no team is going to mail it in. Rarely, rarely have I ever seen that happen. It, it, it really just doesn't because there's too much at stake for these kids and their future contracts and where they are in the spring and where they fit in in the summer and where they're going to be on opening day next fall. Kevin, when you look around the NFL and to your point, the Colts defense has been very sharp, very efficient throughout the year. If they had a, a, a halfway competent offense or an offense that didn't have as many injuries as they've had, then who knows? Maybe this is a different story this year. Uh, that's a long way of saying when you look around the NFL, so many young quarterbacks of the teams, particularly in the AFC that are in playoff contention or to make the playoffs, they're players that were drafted under center for them. A lot of pressure on the Colts to get that right. When you look around the league, where does this crop of quarterbacks rank in terms of, not, maybe not the all-time conversation, because that's a tough one to get into, but you've been around this league for a long time. Can you remember a time where there's been so many quarterbacks that are in either MVP conversation or in that category of this is the best in the NFL? Well, there are a lot of them, and we just saw a couple retire last year. You know, Roethlisberger retired, and uh, Rivers retired, and they're probably both going to be in Canton. And you know, and we know we got Brady and Rodgers on the cusp, and Breeze retired a couple years before that, and all guys that will be in there. And you wonder now, okay, who fills those slots? So we got Mahomes, and and he clearly is a different kind of cat, and he's. He's a guy with a generational arm and a, a, a way of playing that is unconventional and um, unique. And he is a unicorn in that stance, and, and that makes him, you know, one of a kind. And um, Roger's arm is probably the best arm we've ever seen, but he's now 38 and soon to be soon to be 39 if he already hasn't turned 39. Uh, and he's got young guys around him and trying to bring them up to speed and it's very frustrating for him, and I see it. I call their preseason games on TV, and I've known him for a long time, and and know that that he's trying to get the he, he's he's on page 543, and these young receivers are on page 10, and that's that's a hard place to be. That's a hard, frustrating place to be. And then you got Russell Wilson, who was on that path, and and I don't know if he's irreparably damaged his Hall of Fame chances, but this has not been good for him. And I've, I've rarely seen that where a guy has Hall of Fame numbers, credentials, and resume, and in one year has, has soiled it to the point where people are now saying, well, wait a minute, did we misread it? Uh, is he, was he not as good as we thought? Um, you know, that, so that, like, that's weird to watch that. And then Stafford has had great numbers and one great team season, but now he's out the very next year, his arm was never right this year. We knew it with the elbow out of camp, and we knew that he had a procedure done, and we just knew it wasn't right, and he's been shelved. And so they're scrambling, and they're trying to resurrect Mayfield, who a couple years ago brought Cleveland. And then, you know, I got the Deshaun Watsons, and now you're trying to figure out Tua with the, you know, is he soft? Is it physically just not going to be there for a guy like him? I'm telling you, in the beginning of the season, our crew did the game at Baltimore where they were what through for 600 yards or whatever, like an unbelievable or 400, whatever, 469 yards, uh, 600 yards of offense. And like, holy cow, <laughs> like this, this is the guy we saw at Alabama. This is the guy that Saban required from, from Hawaii. And, and so like, there's all these different, you know, and then he got a guy like Daniel Jones, who you're going to see this weekend, you know, as Colts fans, 
And, you know, his his career was kind of like all over the place. And they bring in this great quarterback mine, Brian Dable, who has not just, you know, spoken to the quarterback who's listening, but he's he's constructed an offense that makes sense for Jones to operate on. But we don't know that he's the long-term answer at quarterback. He's He, he may not be, you know, the right choice, but he's Mr. Right now. And that's kind of what the Giants are looking like. You know, they get let's get through this season. They're evaluating him on every snap, but he may not be the long-term guy there. Um, you know, they've just they've done a lot to make sure that he is in a comfortable mode at quarterback and operating with things that he can literally touch and pull and push than than a guy that maybe in the past they were trying to put him into a different kind of box that he just did not fit in. So I, I commend Dable, and if nothing else, that would make you you know, one of the coach of the year candidates. And then Sirianni does the same thing with Hertz in Philadelphia. And I don't know that Hertz is really as good as the numbers say. He's got great supporting cast there, like unbelievable, a great line. He's got weapons. Like, so it, so it's hard to figure out what you are um, and what you've got at quarterback because, you know, Barkley is saving the Giants and, and the great receivers, you know, Brown and, and Smith and, 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 and the terrific line are, are making a difference with Sanders in the backfield at Philadelphia. So, like, I don't know sometimes what we're seeing, if, if it's smoke and mirrors or if it's, or if it's legit. But, uh, but there are some good quarterbacks, I grant you that. Um, but a lot of team row, it's, it's hard to get them. You know, I mean, what, there are five maybe uh, elite quarterbacks, and you've got five to seven more that are that are pretty good the Derek Carrs of the world right and where do they fit in they're not elite but they're not bad they're better than mediocre so they're like in that next seven and then you got 15 to 17 guys that are just kind of guys right in Houston and probably in Indy quite frankly and and and, you know you don't know what field is going to be in Chicago so so every team is interesting every team is is searching for that guy, but that's a hard chore, and that's kind of what's in front of the Colts. Is is they know that probably none of the three they've got are the guy. Two guys in their thirties. One guy is a late round pick, and you're just you've seen a little bit of him, and yeah, he kind of is what you thought he would be. So now you got to go out and you got to find a coach. Maybe you've got him right there. Maybe it is Jeff, and but you've got to find the quarterback. And and you said, God, we just went through this five years ago. I know it. I know it. You got to do it again. Unfortunately. As the guy retired, and you're kind of back to square one. The great Kevin Harlan with us on the guest line, brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Kevin, you alluded to the NBA in an earlier answer, really, over the last few weeks. That's been the story around town here from a positive sensation. The Pacers are a game above 500 with their win against the Hawks last night. What I want to ask you is you've covered the league for a long time, and when the Mavericks were going on their runs, you did a lot of Dallas games, I'm sure. Rick Carlisle with a young team. In your mind, what does Rick bring most to a squad that's on the cusp of being great he brings structure and order and definition and, a, and a, a good game plan knowing what he's got to work with and just probably the voice they need and uh, you know he's won a championship he was a success um you know before he has been a success um you know with with kind of holding on to everything that he inherited when he took over that head coaching job with the with the Pacers, and he's developed. You know, they made a major trade in there, and that's that's always huge for any kind of caliber coach. 
to, to kind of make sure that, that the dust settles in the right way. Uh, clearly, he has done that. So, I, uh, I listen, uh, he's a friend, number one, and a guy I've talked to for many, many years. So, I've got profound respect for for Rick and what he's done and how he's done it. And uh, he is the right coach at the right time with the right voice for that team. And and is it a coach that can push over the top? Absolutely. But that team also probably needs you, – you can't win a championship, and you all know that there because you got such great basketball fans. But you need you need a superstar. Uh, I'm just saying that kind of ubiquitously. Like, like you need you need a guy. You need a superstar. Now, you may have some budding superstars, emerging, you know, caliber, all-star caliber players. Um, but, but until you have that player, you're, you're constantly kind of fighting uphill. But there's, there's beauty in that, too, because you, you climb uphill with guys that will be there in the end, and you need them to win and be that dominant team. But you also need the superstar to be that kind of, that that hedge against just being a good team and becoming a great team. And, you know, I don't have to tell you who those great players are in the league. They're easily identifiable. Um, but there's no doubt you need that stuff around him. You need the culture to be right. And that's what Rick does. He brings the right culture. He's the right voice. He's the experienced hand. He knows the path. He's got the directions. And and so, like, it it must feel good to see – some you know results now with all the things he's tried to implement in the time that he's been there. So I, I, I love Rick, and I just think that everywhere he's gone, the record speaks for itself. Now, when they get Luca and he's trying to handle you know um, um, different situations there, you know, I w- w- did Luca need a new voice in Dallas? I don't know. That's I think up to I, I think had he. Had he, you know, um, stayed the course with this coach, not that he, you know, left, you know, forced the change. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that had they not gone to kid and kept Rick, I expect the results that we saw last year, quite frankly, that they made the conference finals, uh, surprisingly. And 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 I, I think that's, you know, that's what you've that's what you 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 hope is the story with the Pacers. You know. Um, We've seen the emergence of New Orleans, if they can stay healthy, and that that is always going to be a question with Williamson. But but that team, like Williamson, is a, is a budding superstar when healthy, and and they have done like an incredible job getting you know regular draft picks, couple free agents, young players they brought around and along, and and you need those kinds of players to surround that big name player. And, and that's probably the next step, I would say, for, for the Pacers as they continue to build, get their structure, their infrastructure set. But now you need, you need that, that, that signature guy, and who is that going to be? Is he on the roster right now, or do you have to go out and sign him to a big contract and say, the team's ready, we need a guy like you now to, uh, you know, to put your foot on the gas. And, and, and that may be the next step as they, as they get to where they want to go. Kevin, last thing from me, I think I could speak for both Jimmy and myself that uh, we have looked up to you for a long time, watched a lot of your broadcasts, but for me, I'm a baseball broadcaster in the Cubs organization, and anytime we have an announcer on the show, I always like to ask them about guys that took care of you and that you looked up to on your way up, so just wondering that from your perspective, Kevin. Well, I, I uh, probably have done it 
more from afar than I have, like with personal contact, I had guys that I emulated and um, tried to copy when I was like, you know, 9, 10, 11 years old. And, you know, the John, the voice was the first thing that really drew me to it. John Facenda and Summerall and Ray Scott and then Jim Simpson at NBC and then Don Crickey, you know, who was at NBC and CBS and guys I just, I just listened to along the way. Um, you know, I got it. I listened to Joe McConnell uh, when I was a kid, when he was, you know, when he was there. And um, uh, so I've, I've, I've had a lot of people that have been nice along the way. I, I admired Jim Durham in Chicago growing up, Joe Tate doing Cleveland, uh, doing the Cavs on 3WE. Um, Jack Buck certainly was a guy that I listened to growing up when I was in St. Louis and, and later on. So I guess I've got all these voices in my head. I don't have the voice that I dreamt I'd have. I don't have the delivery and and all that that I wanted to have. But you're kind of born with what you've got, and so you try to, you know, go along that path along the way. Uh, but the kindness of the guys I've always found is something that always is there. That if I'd come up at a game that I was broadcasting and they might be broadcasting, always show me like Dick Stockton at, at Fox and before that CBS, one of the one of the great voices in our business in the history. So um, I, I can tell you I've never been disappointed, whether it was Enberg or or Summerall or, or Stockton, uh, Durham or Tate. You know, I've never been disappointed. Anytime I've ever met a guy that I've admired for, for a long time, I've got so many. I'm such a fan of the business and fan of broadcasters that, that I've got so many of them. I don't know if there's one that I really know, but I can tell you, that that the idea of of, of was hatched when I listened to um, uh, the, the 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 narration of Super Bowl one between the and I was about you know seven eight nine years old when I first heard him was the the voice of John Facenda with NFL Films narrating highlights of Super Bowl one and subsequently I've gone back to listen to Jim Simpson broadcast that game and it's just a quick thirty second story. I went to the University of Kansas, and and uh, there was a guy there that was broadcasting the Jayhawks, a guy named Tom Hedrick, who at one time broadcast the Cincinnati Reds and was replaced by Al Michaels, a young Al Michaels. But Tom Hedrick um, broadcast um, Super Bowl One for CBS Radio, and Jim Simpson broadcast Super Bowl One for NBC Radio back in the day. The AFL had their broadcasters, and the NFL had their broadcasters. So you had two different broadcasts for Lombardi against Stram, Len Dawson against Bart Starr, the Chiefs against the Packers. And um, um, as it turned out, I went to the University of Kansas, and the guy that was broadcasting the game for the Jayhawks at that time was Tom Hedrick, the original voice on CBS Radio of Super Bowl One, And he took me under his wing as a freshman in college, I was already knee-deep in the business and was doing games in high school and went there because of their broadcasting department and to work with Tom and and the chances and, 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 and opportunities he gave me to fill in for him when he was not unable to do sports shows. Um, I, he As a freshman on that campus, he put me on the sideline to do sideline reports on the, on the KU football and basketball networks. I did the pregame. I was 18, halftime and post-game show, and, and Tom gave me this great opportunity. So uh, I stand on the shoulders. My career is, is all by luck 
and by good fortune and by somehow uh, catching the eye or the ear of somebody along the way, um, there are uh, there's hundreds of I drive around uh, at night, listen to high school kids do games, uh, middle aged broadcasters do games. And I thought this guy could be doing the University of, of Kentucky or Kansas. And, um, um, you know, uh, there, there's there is a Don Fisher out there someplace. I would tell you right now, there is a Don Fisher out there who is 24, who is doing a game at a small school in Indiana and, and will one day become the next uh, fish doing, doing, doing Indiana games or doing Kentucky games, as Kay Wood Ledford did. And that was another guy I listened to was, was Kay Wood Ledford. So I, I, I have many voices in my head, which is weird to my wife and my kids, but, but I've got them in my head, and I hear those names and I uh, hear those voices all the time, and that, that's what continues to this day to propel me to, to do the best I can possibly do. I, I always miss. I'm usually off target, but I like the challenge of always trying to be what those guys once were in our business, the, 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 the true giants of our business. Well, Kevin, I know I speak for Brennan as well, that you're that for us right now, and you're that for all young broadcasters. And on top of that, uh, I want to thank you as well for paying that forward also. You've been kind to me over the years uh, with guidance and tips uh, throughout that, and we really appreciate you being so gracious with your time today, and have a good call this weekend. Happy New Year to you as well. Great to be on you. Happy holidays, and wonderful to be on with you. Take care, and I look forward to the next time we can visit. Kevin, thanks. Take care. That is Kevin Harlan. You hear him on Turner Sports on Westwood One, voice of the NBA, voice of the NFL. As good a conversation as you're ever going to find, not just from the broadcasting perspective, but of the sports world. For Dude, sure. that that last answer. I mean, that I'm going to start crying after that. I mean, that's that, it, that's the biz it, right there, man. That is that is, and he is again the incredibly humble, but. I I view him right up there in terms of his delivery, his timing, and 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 everything, and, and him not saying the voice that he has, all, all that just it's exceptional, and his reputation precedes him. Last thing, imagine me and Kevin Harlan saying I don't have the voice that I dreamed of. <laughs> <laughs> I would kill for it. I would kill for it, Kevin. We're gonna take a quick break and be right back. I, we need to clarify this on the fly. I apologize. We're gonna bring people behind the scenes. Are we are we moving? Tom, or are we still having Tom? He's good. Okay. He's good. So we're going to be joined by Tom Noy of the South Bend Tribune, another one of our favorites, giving us a little Notre Dame football talk as they prepare for their bowl game on the fan. This is one of the... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Those where the best is saved for last. Our guy from the 574. Nobody in the world covers the Notre Dame Fighting Irish like Tom Noy does. Tom Noy, my guy from up in the bend. My man, I know there may be a lot of pressure following Kevin Harlan, but we are very excited to have you. How are you, my man? Spoken like somebody who's seven minutes late, but we digress. <laughs> it wasn't our fault. That. It wasn't our fault. I know. It's those radio guys. You throw those radio guys on interviews and you just can't get out on time. I understand. Uh, I, I love it. Tom Noy from the South Bend <laughs> Tribune is our guest on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop in Fishers and themowershop.com. Tom, great to catch up. Tyler Buckner, officially the starter for the Gator Bowl, no? 
Uh, yeah, absolutely. There was no way they were going to play a game against South Carolina with Steve Angeli, a, a, a true freshman who I believe has taken maybe two or three snaps this season. So once Drew Pine turns college football on its head by saying, yeah, I'm going in the portal before the bowl game, this was uh, this was something where I, I think if Tyler Buckner was not healthy enough to, to compete in the bowl game, I think maybe Marcus Freeman does not have the conversation that he had with Drew Pine in saying, we, we want you back in 2023. But – we're also looking at the portal to to upgrade the quarterback position. Tom, last year, I know you and I talked about it at the time. It was a, it was a bowl game on my birthday. Excited, hyped <laughs> up, ready to roll. Irish going to get a big-time New Year's Six Bowl win. Didn't go that way to the point that now, if you're not in the playoff, I'm not saying these games don't matter, but you have key pieces on both sides for Notre Dame and South Carolina not out there these aren't a season-altering game by any means. It's a different aspect than a normal regular season game because you're fully healthy or you have a piece where you're building towards something. What should Notre Dame fans and football fans in general expect to see from the Irish, not just with Buckner out there, but no Michael Mayer as well in their attack against South Carolina? Where should expectations be as a whole in the Gator Bowl? Well, Jimmy, you won't say it, but I'll say it. This game means absolutely nothing. <laughs> like if you're, especially, especially if you're a program like Notre Dame who – wants to play in a New Year's Six yeah. Bowl, wants to play in a college football playoff, chases national championships. To go back to the Gator Bowl, it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, it's a nice, I mean, it's a nice trip to Florida. I know it's been chilly down there, but uh, it's just another game. But, I mean, to look at it as to, as to the interest level, I think the interest level goes sky high, a lot higher than had Drew Pine stayed. Because it's 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 almost like it's a referendum on Tyler Buckner. You hate to say it, but they're bringing in a transfer quarterback. That transfer quarterback may well be Sam Hartman. And if Sam Hartman's coming to Notre Dame, guess what? Sam Hartman's starting at Notre yeah. Dame. So it's it's a situation where okay, Tyler Buckner's back. We don't expect Tyler Buckner to complete thirty of thirty-two passes for six touchdowns and four hundred and twenty yards. But Tyler Buckner has to show something along the lines of this is why I was such a highly recruited quarterback coming out of San Diego. This is why I won the starting job to begin the 2022 season. And this is why moving forward, you should not throw all your trust in me out the window. So it's, it's clearly, this is clearly the Tyler Buckner show on, on Friday when, when they, they face off against South Carolina down in Jacksonville. Tom Noy is our guest from the South Bend Tribune covering the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Tom, you just brought up Sam Hartman, the mm-hmm. transfer coming in from Wake Forest. I know it's not official, but all signs point to that he's heading to South Bend, and you put out the googly eyes emoji yesterday, so that can only mean that it's really <laughs> official. Uh, if Hartman does sign with the Irish, is the hope that he would be comparable to what Ian Book gave you, but perhaps you get even more upside? Yeah, I think maybe a little bit more because Ian Booker, for, for everything that he did as the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history, he was still kind of a scrambler guy. Like, he wasn't afraid to bail out of the pocket. Watching Sam Hartman, and believe me, I watched way more of Wake Forest and Missouri than I'd ever planned on Friday night. Not to mention the fact that it was like 40 below up here, so there was really nothing <laughs> else, else to do on a Friday night before Christmas. But watching Sam Hartman, he's kind of the anti-Drew Pine, where – he looks like Drew Pine. They're about the same size. They wear their same, the, the same number. They're, they even look alike facially. 
But then when you watch Sam Hartman stand in the pocket and he'll stand there and he'll stand there and he'll stand there and just before it's about ready to collapse and he takes a sack, he's getting rid of the ball and he's finding guys. And he makes all the, all the throws that a big-time college quarterback can make. Like he, he's, he's not afraid to take chances. He'll, he'll fit the ball into windows that Drew Pine – Drew Pine needed like a, 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 the, the, the entire wall of windows open to throw to, to make a pass and to try to, to, to complete a pass. So Sam Hartman is, is everything that Drew Pine isn't, and it's really what this program – they need a quarterback like that heading into what 2023 is going to be for this program. Tom Noy, the South Bend Tribune, nice enough to take some time with us on the Motor Shop and Fishers hotline, themotorshop.com. Tom, when you examine the career of Michael Mayer, obviously not playing in this bowl game, but I know NFL scouts are salivating at the opportunity to have him as a building block at tight end. Maybe he makes an immediate impact right away, or maybe it's, you know, tight ends have their struggles sometimes as first-year players in the league, but encapsulate kind of a bow on his tenure at Notre Dame and what NFL teams can expect should they land him in April? He literally was a pro from the minute he walked in the door. He, he, I mean, he played in every game since he was a true freshman. And I remember watching him. The, the, the first game that he played his freshman year was the COVID year. It was against Duke. So whatever, that year was kind of funky. But he just looked like he, he was a man among boys. And he was making catches. And he was making plays. He was doing everything that that you thought that you saw from the likes of Kyle Rudolph and Tyler Eifert when those guys were like juniors, the sophomores, juniors, and seniors. Michael Mayer walks in, and there's there was nobody in that wide receiver room that was going to strike fear into opposing teams' hearts this year. Where it was like, oh well, what are we going to do about Lorenzo Styles, or what are we going to about do about Braden Lindsey, or how about this Jane Thomas guy? It was there was nobody in that room that you had to game plan for other than Michael Mayer. So it was it was a situation where teams would load up against Notre Dame and say, we'll let one of these guys on the outside beat us because we don't think they're going to, but we're going to take away 87. And then all of a sudden you look up and Michael Mayer has caught 67 passes for 109 yards or 809 yards and nine touchdowns. So he was a guy that a lot was expected of this season. And he delivered in almost every aspect. And once that game ended out in Los Angeles Thanksgiving weekend, you just kind of knew that 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 was going to be the last time you saw Michael Mayer in a Notre Dame uniform because he's a first-round NFL draft pick. He's got a very bright future. And he's going to be a guy that's going to walk into some team's camp in the springtime, and the coaches are going to be like, whoa. He's a rookie, but he also has the look of a guy who's been around this league two, three, four years. Tom, last question on my end. You mentioned the potential of Sam Hartman coming to Notre Dame via the transfer portal, and if that is indeed where he ends up, uh, Kenny Minchie coming in with next year's class, the quarterback position, and then, of course, C.J. Carr a year after that. Does bringing in Hartman alter anything in terms of the long-term plans at quarterback for Notre Dame? Yeah, because... You look at Kenny Minchin, you look at C.J. Carr, like one of those guys will eventually leave because that's, I mean, that's the right. nature of college football is that, that, that quarterback room. You have to bring in a quarterback every single season. And for whatever reason, Notre Dame has dropped the ball in quarterback development and quarterback recruitment to the point that they find themselves in here where, where last year, where this, past, this past season, when Tyler Buckner goes down against Marshall and Drew Pine was the only option, 
and the way Drew Pine's college career kind of got off the ground or didn't get off the ground, Marcus Freeman had to look at Tommy Reese a little side-eyed, like, well, what what are we doing here with the quarterback position? Like, it's got to be – there's got to be competition, and there's got to be talent, and there's got to be high-end talent in that quarterback room. They believe they can get that with Sam Hartman. They don't know what they have in Tyler Buckner and Steve Angeli. And then Kenny Minchie and C.J. Carr, who if those guys develop, only one of them is going to play. But that's okay because that's the nature of what college football is these days where that, that quarterback room is going to be crowded. And it's okay if somebody leaves because if somebody leaves, that means you've got a quarterback that's really, really good. And I don't know. Yeah, Drew Pine was, was serviceable. He was okay. He helped his team bounce back from an 0-2 start. But at the end of the day, I don't know if Drew Pine has that capability to take a program like Notre Dame where it has to be every single college football season. He is our guy, Tom Noy, from the South Bend Tribune, covering the Notre Dame Fighting Irish on the mower sh- on the hotline, brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. My man, I will see you in April, hopefully before then, of course, but for sure for a fresh baseball season. Sorry for being late. You can write an apology. We can write an apology <laughs> note to CBS, and uh, we'll be all good. But looking forward to seeing you in a couple months, man. You guys can call me anytime. We'll talk any hoops. We'll talk football. We'll talk anything. Thanks, Tom. You're the best, Tom. You got, you got it, guys. Take care. Tom Noy on the hotline brought to you by the Mower Shop and Fishers and themowershop.com. We'll come back. Put a bow on this one. Brendan King, Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison back next. We were. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. <laughs> A strike of iron away from Cashin yesterday. The Oilers and the Flames played a 2-1 game. Flames hit the posts. We almost had plus 370, Eddie Garrison. I know, and then I was watching Kings last night. You know, I texted you last night. I was like, I was about, I'm about to crash. I turned on the game and background noise, and I was like, whoa, it's 2-2 here. Dude, and I was gonna and I was gonna come back today and be like, "Hey, BK, I told you you should have took OT, but uh, the Kings scored and they ended up winning last night." And then uh, in terms of Franz Wagner, tied a season low in shots, and uh, Lamelo Ball just could not make anything within eight feet of the basket. Five ca- of fifteen. You cashed your Pacers last night, though. Pacers cashed, but uh, the mullet let me down. Yeah, Mike Gundy in well, Oklahoma State never really in that ball game against Wisconsin. Sad. Well, Eddie, I'm making. I'm not only making you a hockey guy, but now you're copying my flow. You got your first trench coat. So, congratulations, uh, Jimmy. <laughs> give us something. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day. (laughs) Thank you. Today's Plays of the Day, starting first with the NBA. Going to take the Phoenix Suns. Turn the money line against the Washington Wizards in our nation's capital. Also going to take the Denver Nuggets. Turn the money line there in Sacramento against the Kings. And then an honor. Of Kevin Harlan, so bet this at your own risk. I'm just betting this for Kevin Harlan's sake. We're going to go with his alma mater. Going to take the Kansas Jayhawks to one of the money line over Arkansas. That's right. There's no logic in that bet. There's nothing. We're just putting it in there because tip of the cap to Kevin Harlan. 1-1 one one yesterday, 2-2 two two on the week. Plays on Twitter at the Jay Cook. 
BK? Boston Bruins, best team in the league. They take on the Devils. Should be a pretty good game. Those are top two teams in the Eastern Conference. You get some good value. David Krejci, plus 310, anytime goal scorer. Krejci's got 10 goals in about 30 games. Plays a good second-line role. I think he'll punch one in. It's going to be a gritty game. Eddie? I've got a couple. I'm coming locked and loaded again. i got three. Uh, in that Denver game, I've got two. I'm going to start on the Sacramento side. I'm going to take De'Aaron Fox over 24.5 points. Love the Fox without Swiper, I should say, without DeMontis Sabonis. And then on the other side, for the Nuggets, I will take Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Take him over. He's on the Nuggets now? Yes. That, guy's been, that, guy, that is a type of dude that has been on every single team. I'll take him over 10.5 points, and he's making his rounds, that's for sure. Last one from me, and I'm running it back. I am taking Franz Wagner over 18.5 points as the Magic face off against one of the worst teams in the association, the Detroit Pistons. News of the day, big picture NFL. No, the YouTube chat talked about it, but Derek Carr... Benched by the Raiders for the final two games of the season. Jarrett Stidham will be their starting quarterback. Carr will be inactive for the final two games of the season, which for those of you that are interested in minor BK's thoughts on it, wouldn't have a ton of time to expunge on it now, but uh, no, to answer your question, no, embrace it. No. Embrace it. No. It's happening. And no. Unless. Ron Paul meme. It's happening. (laughs) Unless it is. No, God! Yes. No, Thank you. God, please, no! No! <laughs> Sam Ellinger needs a new number, boys. Unless, we got a new number four coming in. Unless no, God, it is... No, God, please, no! ...car that is guiding or helping whoever your young quarterback is you take in the first round. Then I can tolerate it. That's if you an don't expensive want to, mentor. I understand it is. and, and I, But that's the only reason I'm, I would get on board. If you're looking for me to get on board, that's the only reason. And the reason it would never happen is probably too expensive in that aspect oh boy that's god run it back merry-go-round continues in that case yep the band-aid would be reapplied if the Colts were to make a move in that regard again I think you and I are both firmly in the camp that ship has sailed time to go out and get your own quarterback via the NFL draft if Jim likes him though Jim gets what he wants he does indeed that is going to be the story of the offseason, and we still have two games to get through. Before well, we get actually, to that Jeff, Derek Carr is the only quarterback that Jeff Saturday has beaten, so maybe Uh-oh. in turn, Uh-oh. pair them together, you win multiple Super Bowls. Mike Chappell, Tony East, Nathan Baird, Kevin Harlan, Tom Noy podcast, search the fan midday show on wherever you get your podcast. John's next. See ya.